1: What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder, and we are talking all-ceiling team today. Um, Think of it like uh, our Ball of Clay episode from last year, but on steroids. So we got a long show, a lot to talk about, some names that you've probably uh, either not heard of or just not heard us mention yet because we got some guys way down the board that we're going to talk about so jam-packed episode here in the middle of draft season EJ I know you're you're probably still rocking seltzer for draft season keep your, your mind and body right I made myself a uh, Spice Demerara old-fashioned bringing the cocktails back to the show for the first time in a while so uh, I'm feeling good how are you? I'm good. Do you know that uh, you hooked our buddies at uh,
0: Rockpile Report on on all kinds of cocktailing now? and they Yeah, hold I, you f- I
1: converted them. I they convert hold them. you fully responsible? Yeah, he's like, I bought a cocktail smoker because of you.
0: It's your fault. It's totally true. I was I was on Rockpile uh, a couple of <laughs> weeks back, and Chris was smoking a cocktail. And I was like, huh? Ooh. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's all bread. I was like, oh, I know. Uh, so, no, I am not smoking cocktails tonight uh yes i am drinking some black cherry seltzer and uh we're gonna rock this episode uh, this is this is fun stuff it serves several of our purposes it lets us talk about some of the players we love way down the board that like you said we haven't talked about it lets us work in uh one of the great draft cliches of all time right <laughs> people talk about ah oh, guys got a high ceiling or Guys got untapped potential. We're gonna talk about all those guys today, and and what would happen if they actually hit that potential.
1: And uh, I can tell that that people really love draft season because we have thirty nine new patrons over on Patreon this week alone. Too many to even name. Um, I think they're all coming over because they uh, they wanted to see our position rankings. We dropped uh, offensive tackle and wide receiver last week. We're dropping linebacker and tight end this week. Um, And then I I can't remember which ones we're doing after that. But, you know, we're going to get through every single position and kind of drop our top seven-ish ish uh, per per uh, per position group. So again, if you want to uh, get a sneak peek of that and kind of like little mini reports that we've got there, little write-ups for, uh, for all of our top guys and kind of our top two tiers at every single position, you can find that over on the Patreon. You also get merch discounts. Um, you know, whenever we do our next kind of patron-only Q&A, you'll get access to that. So lots of goodies uh, over on the bootleg Patreon. Thank you to all 39 of you that joined this week, just absolutely insane. And to all the rest of you, you're welcome for not beating (laughs) off all 39 of them. Yes, yes. Uh, We don't want to turn a two-hour podcast into a three-hour podcast. Uh, And speaking of that podcast, I'm going to ask you, EJ, to give a, a little quick primer on what is the all Ceiling team?
0: Yeah, well, can't thank everybody enough. We put out the other guy's podcast last And that was about where you can find guys with similar skills later in the draft. People really resonated to the format. All of you uh, have commented on YouTube and Twitter and reached out to us and said, such a cool episode. Love it. Love hearing these names. So just kind of riffed off of that and thought, hey, how can we put together another episode? And like you said, this is like balls of clay that we did last year, which was really just sort of physical freaks, a a continuation, if you want to, of Bruce Feldman from the Athletics Freaks list that he puts out every year. Balls of clay was our shot at, hey, who are the guys that have amazing amounts of physical potential? And this is kind of the next evolution. This is, again, answering the question that you hear all the time. Oh, this is a high ceiling guy. What does that mean? like what if he achieved his eventual potential as a player what if he actually became that good what would happen and and who are some of the players in this draft that have that we're really going to have two or more in bootleg classic style for each position and one is sort of the chalk pick the the person that that label gets attached to all the time at that position um We're going to start right off at quarterback and you can probably guess who, who that's going to be. Uh, But then we wanted to go, we wanted to dip into that, that bag of players that we really love talking about in the later rounds and pick a down the board guy, a DTB guy that maybe you haven't heard of that again, has a lot of gifts. And it looks like, man, if they get with a good coach or again, hit a good landing spot and, and realize that potential, they could be a very good player in the league really quickly.
1: And uh, I think we are going to start off with quarterback there because everybody can guess who both of our chalk pick are going to be. Um, And by the way, some of these, you know, we're just going to have two names because we're literally just going to be in agreement, like hyper-focused, like this is the guy and this is the DTB guy. Some of these positions, we're going to have like five or six names because you and I are going to have totally different lists based on how (laughs) we value people. For quarterback, you and I agreed on both counts. Malik Willis is the chalk pick for, oh my God, if he hits his ceiling, he's going to be in that, you know, Josh Allen, Mahomes, Herbert class of quarterback, you know, the top five to six guys in the league if he hits that ceiling. And then the down-the-board down, to, down the board guy, excuse me, somebody who also has tremendous physical gifts and by all accounts is a pretty cool guy that, you know, works hard and wants to get better. He's just not... uh He's not in the same class or discussion as Malik Willis, but if he goes to the right spot, he can you know, potentially develop into a, a pretty plus starter here, and that's Carson Strong. I remember when I first saw Carson Strong, God, it might have been September or October, kind of starting off with him. He threw a go ball 55 yards down the field from the far hash, which in college is even wider than the NFL. And the fact that he made that throw in college, which maybe 12 to 13 NFL quarterbacks can do, I immediately in my head was like, well, he's going to have a job in the league. I don't care how high he goes. He's going to have a job in the league because his arm talent is not normal.
0: All right, I'm going to I'm going to blow everybody's reality here because we've talked a lot about Malik and I uh, the short version on Malik. Yes, he's he's one of a handful, one two maybe three guys in this class that have the physical gifts to ascend to that tier if he hits the ceiling. Lots of ink spilled about Malik Willis with good reason. We're not going to talk about him a ton. I'm going to rearrange everybody's perspective on Carson Strong (laughs) because what you said is absolutely true. He has throws on tape from this year that no other quarterback in this class can make, including
1: Malik. In terms of velocity plus touch and timing and all You're looking
0: at 45-yard out routes to the far sideline off the hash. Yeah. Balls that, again, Kenny Pickett can't throw that ball without moving. Uh, Matt Corral can throw it, but it's going to drop off. He can't throw it like Carson Strong does. So those throws are what attract you to Carson Strong. And what everybody says in the negative category is, well, he, he can't move right? He can't move. Here's the kicker. Carson Strong wasn't supposed to play football this year. Carson Strong's doctors told him not to play football this year. Carson Strong's family told him not to play football this year. I haven't heard about this. Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to rearrange your perspective too. So join the gallery. Okay. Everybody told Carson Strong not to play football this year. They told him to take the year off and let his knee heal because he has a condition and apparently the prognosis is fairly good, but it's a long healing time. And if he had the procedure, he was not going to be able to play football this year. Hmm. Carson Strong asked about how much damage it would do if he played without the procedure this year. And they said, well, it'd be kind of the same. Your leg won't work real well and it's going to hurt like crazy, but it's not going to like screw it up long term. You know, it needs to be fixed anyways. And Carson Strong said, I'm going to go support my teammates. I want to have a year with them. So I'm going to do all the things I need to do. I'm going to take a golf cart around practice sometimes. I'm going to not practice on a bunch of days because I can barely walk. I'm going to walk with a cane. Carson Strong Mm. did everything that you saw on tape that attracts you. That go ball that you saw. Yeah.
1: On one leg. I knew his knee was bad, but I didn't think it was like, you need like micro fracture surgery bad look look <laughs> at
0: his tape there huh. is tape of him making amazing throws all year long it's the reason we're talking about him in this conversation it's the reason romeo dubs is is on wide receiver lists it's the reason by the way his,
1: love him yep it's love the him <laughs> that
0: his tight end is getting a lot of love i mean that and he's 6'6 and is super athletic like but like Make no mistake, he is the straw that stirred that team's drink, and he wasn't even supposed to be there. Everybody in his life said, don't play football this year. He said, I'm not going to let my teammates down. So checking the leadership box, huge. Every throw he made, and again, some of the most amazing throws in the class, on one leg. Look at him moving in the pocket. You're right. He can't move in the pocket. He's on one leg. There are games where he's literally dragging that thing behind him. Mm-hmm. He's like pegging off it like a pirate right? And if you're thinking about that, you're like, he can do all that on a 50% base? Huh. What if, and here's the kicker, Carson Strong's not going to do you a lot of good next year. If you're a team that needs to play him this year, draft him and play him, he is not the guy for you. Mm -hmm. If you are a team like Pittsburgh, like Detroit, that has a capable we're just gonna say capable starter that can carry you through this season and you're not expecting to go to the super bowl anyways and you spend like a third round pick or a late second round pick on carson strong let him get his surgery let him heal and just take mental reps you very well could come out with the best all-around quarterback in this class for a wild value
1: I got I got to do some research on his knee because I thought it was like a degenerative thing. There's I I'm I mean, again, I'm not a doctor. I know he was told not to play this year
0: by both doctors and family. Uh, I know he chose to play anyways. And on top of that, and this is the part where not being a doctor really hurts me. Uh, <laughs> The prognosis when surgery is done correctly is apparently pretty good, but it's a long healing time. That's the kicker. That was the kicker this year is, hey, if you have it, you're not going to have any seasons. Which long healing time tells me microfracture. Well, could be. I don't, again, Probably. I'm not going to dive in and say, this is how we should fix Carson Strong's knee. What I'm going <laughs> to yeah. say is if you fix Carson Strong's knee, and this is the if part, this is why it's a ceiling episode. If you fix his knee and he now has two good legs, And he has learned everything that he had to learn playing on one leg because you see him move in the pocket the only way he can. And he still avoided (laughs) pressure, right? Now, if he had two good legs, would he have done that or would he have bolted earlier? Who knows? But he was limited by, "Mm, I can't run, so I have to just get a sidestep. And then I'm going to, with all upper body, throw this ball 40 yards on a line to my tight end. So with everything he's learned, you give him back 50% of
1: his base, okay (laughs) so what you're saying is he's perfect for all ceiling team because you really don't know what you're going to get but if he hits the ceiling if he hits the ceiling he could easily and i
0: mean easily and this is with the class with malik willis and you know what i think of malik he could easily be the best quarterback because what he's already shown on a 50 percent base
1: it's still got, a him right? <laughs> yeah. got him in the conversation, right? Got him in the
0: conversation as one yeah. of the top quarterbacks in this class. And he was playing on one leg. That's astounding. So if he gets the fix, it works. And you can give him a year to sit. You're going to get
1: that plus. All right. I'm 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 on board. I'm intrigued. I'm going to okay. do more research and, and ask some PTs what they think of this because I'm fascinated by that now. Uh Let's go to running back where you and I both have the same chalk pick, which is Brees Hall. I mean, how could you – it's not, hard not look at to his, pick him. Yeah, he's, his combine was ridiculous. All of his numbers are insane. He's like top 10 RAS score for a running back ever. Um, yeah, that's the
0: kicker. Is ugh. like where do you put the best athlete from like peewee ball on up through? Running like, back. It's always running back. It's always running back, right? Yeah. Best, best kid on the team is running back. So all the best athletes go to running back early in their careers. 7th. All time at the all athlete position, that's something.
1: Yeah, he's he's one of the guys that's like pretty easy to project in a class full of people that are very hard to project, which is why I think that he might not go in the first round, but I do think he'll go off the board very early in the second round because GMs are just going to be like, "Eh, Let's just take, let's just take Brees Hall because we know he's probably gonna be a good (laughs) football player. (laughs) Like, you know, if we absolutely don't want to miss, we'll just take Brees Hall. Um, you and I do differentiate on our uh, down the board all ceiling team guys. You've got Jerome Ford, and I have Rashad White. I'll start with White, who, you know, sub four five speed. He was like high four four speed, which for a running back, definitely plenty. But great size to go with that speed. At six foot two fifteen, that's like ideal running back proportions. Thirty eight inch vert, ten five in the broad, twenty on the bench. Prolific pass catcher. I mean, he's got baby soft hands caught almost 50 balls last year at Arizona state. Um, I think he is a true three down back with his receiving ability. I think his, his top end speed is obviously not the same as Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker, even Pierre strong, even Pacheco. (laughs) But (laughs) I think he still has absolutely enough gas and more than enough burst in the short area. He almost, he's kind of like a, a slashing Glider, you know, where it, he he puts that foot in the ground immediately gets north south, and he, he's moving faster than you think he is because he's got kind of like long strides everything like that. So it's definitely enough speed. He just looks like he's going slower than he actually is moving because of how his gait is. But I think he's a very very gifted running back, and the fact that he runs a full route tree and he's got great hands, at least for me, means that if he hits a ceiling, he's a three down running back with all the athleticism that you could want and you're going to get him way later in the draft which is usually kind of the premium spot for getting a three down running back
0: yeah i agree with the value getting him late and i know a lot of people that are uh kind of quietly high on him like oh man i really love i'm kind of low-key love rashad white um i'm not as high on his game but i'm not low on it like uh, again if you're talking late round running back and and your o-line coach or your running game coordinator or your running back coach goes i think rashad white's the guy i can work with i have no issue with it whatsoever Mm -hmm. um ford is interesting to me because cincinnati in general is is loaded there's three four guys on defense There's three four guys on offense um and ford kind of gets glossed over a little bit one because of positional devaluation there. You know, that's the running back right we were, hey they have a quarterback yeah okay let's talk about him oh they got a they got a crazy wide receiver we're going to talk about they got you know they got this they got that ford kind of gets lost in the wash a little bit and he shouldn't um yeah we've talked a lot about the alabama running back room and how mm-hmm. hard it is to go there and play well and and yeah well ford was an alabama running back and he transferred to Cincinnati. Uh, There's a reason that he was there. Again, uh, running back proportions are really good, 5'10", 2'10", uh, versatile in terms of, yes, he bailed Ritter out a lot in the passing game by being lithe, by being agile, by being athletic, being able to go short or turn that speed on and go deep and play receiver down the Mm -hmm. sideline. On a wheel route, he looks like, Golden Tate, right? He looks like a five ten <laughs> compact guy that's just outrunning people and and going to catch the ball down the field. As a runner, has some patience to him, not a ton of wiggle, but doesn't. That's not really his game. The thing that stands out to me about Ford as a runner is he has like an unlimited top end. Hmm. Right? He's one of those guys that builds speed. He's not hyper quick. He's quick but he's not hyper quick. He doesn't have instant acceleration, but he's fast. And the farther he gets down the field, the faster he is.
1: So it's like a 94 S class where it's like, it just steadily keeps going. (laughs) To me, it kind of reminds me, I grew up where it's snowy and like
0: snowmobiles have an infinitely variable transmission. There are not gears, right? You just wind it out. Right. And it's a conical conical drive belt. And like, he just he'll barely miss the linebacker. And then, you know, the safety's coming in and he'll break the safety angle. And then that that corner from the other side of the field, he he's He's feeling Randy, so he's going to come over and try and get a. Oh, no. Now we're seven yards ahead of everybody. And he just keeps opening it up where a lot of running backs, some wide receivers, they can get to that top speed very quickly. But there's there's no other gear after that. They're at that speed. And if they don't have a gap, they're not getting a gap. He just keeps manufacturing gap. And if you look at his highlights or even his tape, he has multiple 79 yard touchdown runs like i don't know why that's his number 79 yards but he has multiple it's because they get a one
1: run. yard gain on first down and then he breaks it off on second down that's why
0: yeah I, it's so again guy that can contribute as a runner contribute as a receiver is uh what i would say of a good pro size in terms of being able to you know take punishment and that speed and you get that speed on the outside and it's not just speed he runs with power he runs between the tackles he does it all and you know people are like what's your comp and i'm like uh you know i don't like comps but again it was like five ten, in between 210 220 caught the ball real well was was real fast
1: <laughs> he's just there's solid all around
0: there's some really good running backs in that mold and ford's just kind of Again, quietly under the radar. He's in the mid-hundreds in terms of ADP. He's a day-one plug-and-play pro running back. So, again, great value.
1: I I forgot to tell you, by the way, that I was on a walk with my wife through a neighborhood, and I actually saw somebody, one of my neighbors, who's kind of a, a collector, and he actually just got like a pristine mid-'90s S-class. And it's sharing a driveway with a 78 Bronco and like a 71 Super <laughs> B. And I'm like, oh, my God, this would be EJ's like favorite person on planet Earth. I, Just collecting random cars. <laughs>
0: we would have conversations. Yes. <laughs> um,
1: yes. I don't think I've actually seen a Super B in the wild other than that one in like my entire life. I I don't know. I don't know about you, but.
0: The, I Wild is is a. <laughs> wild is the term right you see like you walk into somebody's really nice like three car garage in the south and they have a super b and you're like oh yeah of course like why wouldn't you but like parked at a
1: you know like walmart no. <laughs> uh let's go to wide receiver where we have a cornucopia of freaks in this class um you kind of have a a tie for your your top spot here in terms of chalk, all ceiling guys, which are uh, Drake London and Christian Watson, Watson in particular, we've talked about a lot. My pick was Watson because six, four, two, <laughs> ten, four, three, because jumps the gym. all the things, because yeah. all the things Drake London is somebody we haven't talked about as much. Um, I don't think he has the same top end speed as Watson, but when you factor in size, um, very fluid hips and good feet for that size. He's proportioned very close to, like, a Mike Evans, Brandon Marshall, just big, physically imposing, way more fluid than he has any right to be for his dimensions. And, you know, you and I were kind of talking about this before the show, where it's like, okay, if he hits his ceiling, he's Mike Evans, Mm -hmm. which there's only been, like, a couple years throughout Mike Evans' very long, illustrious career where he was considered, like, a top three wide receiver in the league. But puts up a thousand yards every year, very reliable red zone target, Mr. Consistency for an entire generation. And you look up and he's by the end of Mike Evans career, he is going to be one of the most prolific wide receivers of his generation. Probably not even probably is a hall of fame lock at this point, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So if we're looking at Drake London where it's like, Oh, the ceiling is Mike Evans. And like some people in their head, it's like, well, you know, <laughs> What's Mike that? Evans, it's like, OK, well, that's a Hall of Fame receiver. So if your ceiling is a Hall of Fame receiver, you should probably be a top 10 pick. Yeah, the
0: body control at his size is what sets him apart. He's not slow. And we say he doesn't have the same top end as Watson. So 80 percent of people in this class don't have the same top end as Watson, especially yeah. not at the size. But you watch what London can do with his body all over the field, down the field, even like Let's be completely honest about USC's offense this year. It was hot trash. Yeah. Like it was London and. Uh, Once he a, was gone, yeah, they, a few other things. Just, they struggled yeah. mightily. So yeah. their offense was before he was gone, get get the ball to London, however we can do it. And they did that in some good ways and some really like, Oh geez, we're just going to force it ways. And Mm -hmm. he made that look okay. His ability to twist around, catch a ball, spin off a guy in the backfield and then accelerate is special. You don't see that kind of body control. You can see the basketball player in him all the time. In fact, uh one of the clips i posted about him i said this is the basketball background right here this is the outlet pass and run it up court and he's done that a billion times and Mm -hmm. his little behind the line receiver screen looks just like that it's like put your hands up catch the outlet pass dodge guys i just don't have to dribble same body mechanics if you're familiar with basketball but the idea that you know, people are like, oh, yeah, he's Mike Evans. I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> Mike Evans is a guaranteed in my mind. And if you look up his stats, you can make a very strong argument for first ballot Hall of Famer. Like one of the most consistent and best for the longest period of time modern wide receivers there is Drake London. Again, we're talking about an all ceiling team. That's the name of the episode. That's his ceiling. If he hits it. That's the yeah. best you can hope for spending a
1: high pick on a wide receiver. And he was doing that, by the way, with a quarterback situation like, okay, Jamison Williams at Ohio State has Justin (laughs) Fields. And then he goes to Alabama and he's got the Heisman winner, at quarterback (laughs) like, um, you know, Christian Watson had like a year of Trey Lance, um, you know, uh, some of the other receivers in the top like Garrett Wilson. Okay, CJ Stratton is going to be a first round pick like you look at the quarterback situation for Drake London versus the quarterback situation for a lot of these other top receivers. It, he did a lot with very little, very little. And I think when he goes off the board at 10th overall to the jets, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit arrogant about it because I said a very long time ago that he was going to be a top 10 pick and people jumped down my throat and they said, well, no, the Ohio state guys and Jamison, they're, they're all going to go ahead of him. And then John Dotson's going to go ahead. of him. And I was like, I, I'm sorry, do you see this gigantic human being that moves like that that was the centerpiece of an entire offense? If his ankle's good, he's going top 15, almost guaranteed. Yeah, if the medical's fine, and uh,
0: Jahan Dotson gets drafted ahead. That was a very common take. I, no, no, I'm saying <laughs> currently with what we know now, now, I I do not say that, but with what we know now, if that happens, like, we riot. Like, yes,
1: <laughs> that's that's we ride, And this is like, nothing against Jahan Dotson. Solid no, player,
0: solid, really player. fine player. This is not trashing Jahan Dotson. This is like what you might get. And look, the NFL is big on potential. We see it every year. Pass rushers, quarterbacks, wide receivers, uh, you know, people draft uh, linebackers. Think about Edmonds when he went to when he went to Buffalo, right? It was a like this guy's loaded with physical potential. And when he guesses, right, it's amazing. And when he doesn't, it's an 80 yard touchdown because he didn't fill his gap. It was all about potential. And the NFL loves potential. And if you think Jahan Dotson has more potential than London, you and I are seeing very different
1: things. It's I love Dotson on day two as like Mr. Reliable slot receiver, mm-hmm. third and Dotson, I'm all about it. Yep. If he's a top 60 pick, I mean, I'm okay with that sure. in that role. Drake London is a number one wide receiver in the NFL.
0: Yeah, if it's, Dotson it,
1: goes in the top 20 and, and London falls out, A, we'll know the medical is
0: not as clean and people are, as much as they love potential, they hate risk. So yeah. as somebody somebody saw a red flag on the medical and said, I'm not comfortable with that. Po- I mean, risk. broken
1: ankles are a finicky thing. It's very possible. I could be. But yeah. if the
0: medical turns out to be clean and he goes on to have a very solid NFL career and he was picked
1: away as after Dotson... I think people will come to regret that. That's what I'm going to say about that. In terms of uh, down-the-board guys that you and I both like, uh, Tanner Connor, who we've talked about endlessly on the show, so we won't belabor the point. Um, But two others that I think are kind of in that similar, like, giant dudes who are freaky (laughs) athletic category. Uh, We've also got um, Isaiah Weston from Northern Iowa and Alec Pierce from Cincinnati, who's starting to get a little bit more publicity now at this point because I feel... I, I did actually kind of think it was funny how, if you noticed the Desmond Ritter hype train and the Alec Pierce hype train took off at the exact same time. And I think it's because people finally started to watch the Cincinnati offense of like the, oh, Desmond Ritter made a really nice read there. Man. Ah, okay, that's a great deep ball. Who caught that? Oh, Alec Pierce. What did Alec Pierce run? Oh, he's oh. 6'3", <laughs> 211 with four four one speed and a 40, and a half inch vert and a 10, 9 broad. And he's got 33 inch arms. Like, okay, maybe we should, be a little bit higher on this guy. Let's see what he did to the Senior Bowl. Oh, he smoked people there too. Okay, maybe we should be a little bit higher on this guy. I think Alec Pierce is that classic like riser, however mm. you want to phrase it in the sure. draft cycle. Which for teams, there are no risers and fallers. They they've had their grades in months ago. It's more of like a riser in the media once everybody gets around to watching them, myself included, um, mm-hmm. where we all collectively realize like. There's a gigantic human being that runs low four four and jumps 40 inches and was the number one receiver on a playoff team and was productive and was beating Alabama corners in the playoff game. We should probably pay attention to that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And is competitive with the ball in the air. Um, folks around Chicago will tell you uh, because he was a Chicago local guy in high school. Glenbard West, I think, Um don't crush me if I got his high school wrong. Cause I'm in <laughs> trouble remembering everybody's college. Uh, but was a three sport athlete there, um, noted for being a freak athlete way back in high school. And I guess
1: volleyball, know, I'm going to look it up while you talk.
0: Just, uh, it was track basketball and football, maybe. Um, anyways, uh, you know, Matt Bowen, who's in the Chicago high school scene as a coach was like, Oh yeah, Alec Pierce. Everybody's known about Alec Pierce for a while. Uh, you know, just continued to grow and get better, and then you know ended up uh, at the right place at the right time with the Cincinnati team that was on a roll, and again is loaded with talent, um, and still stood out, right? Still was easily the top receiver on that team, and th- the gap between a guy like Christian Watson, who we've been on the hype train for a while, and Alec Pierce is a lot less than you might think. <laughs> they're they're similar in terms of athletic potential. And in terms of production, like Pierce was more productive in a more prolific mm-hmm. offense, for sure, in a more pass first offense. But like that gap is is not large. We talk about how thin that gap can be between players at the top of the draft and players even out of the draft. But here we're talking about two guys that are in, you know second round varying varying levels of second round consideration who are both really tall really fast can jump out of the gym uh competitive with ball in the air like they're they're pretty similar my guy is much farther down the board uh than yours not a top 100 guy possibly even a udfa but i think somebody will probably take a chance again just in the late rounds height weight speed uh and that's isaiah weston from northern iowa Mm mm-hmm so Isaiah Weston, not as crazy prolific, but definitely had his moments um yeah, six three two fourteen, four four two uh you know a ten yard split of one four nine vertical of forty broad of eleven all the all the tick marks for numbers that are uh you know gonna get you noticed as an athlete, especially at that size now, his agility grades. Not as good. Shuttle 4-4 four, four, and a 3-cone of 7 two, 7 which is not a death sentence, but it's not great for a wide receiver. The one that sticks out to me that people aren't going to talk about is usually when you get receivers that are tall and somewhat thin like that. They're not great at the bench, and many of them just didn't even do it this year. A lot of people mm-hmm. didn't do bench at all. Weston did it 20 reps.
1: Yep, that'll do. 6
0: 3, 2, 14 Long levers, he did 20 reps so again big strong fast like somebody's gonna grab this guy and if he gets with a good wide receiver coach gets put in a role um you know everybody's talking about pierce as a marquez valdez scantling replacement in green bay right well what if you waited five (laughs) rounds and got isaiah weston to do a very similar thing like mm, yeah you'd you'd have a lot of the same role uh and if he develops again gets with a good quarterback gets some deep balls as a rookie like people are going to be like who is Isaiah Weston you're gonna be like I'm a bootleg listener and
1: I know where he came from yeah there's just there's so many late round freaks in this class and I know we've said it before but it's a product of of how the pandemic kind of affected college football and kind of forced this mass coalescence of of talent into this one class. There's a lot of dudes and this is a byproduct of it is you're going to get the, why do you think so many teams are, are willing to, to move down and trade down in this class and collect day three picks? It's, it's because they feel like they can get these freaks on day three over and over and over again. Now what I've done with the Patriots did and traded Shaq Mason for a fifth rounder. No, but teams <laughs> are doing that. Teams are doing that. They're, yeah, they're they sure. trying to get as many picks as they can on day three in this class four guys like Connor and Weston and probably not Pierce. He'll go in the third round, but there's, there's a lot of talent. Um, speaking of super duper deep late round gems, possibly UDFA, let's go to tight end. You and I were, were in agreement that, uh, Greg Dulcich, if he hits his ceiling is going to be a very quality tight end in the league. Um, he is not, Anywhere close to Kyle Pitts as a prospect, he might not even be good as Fryermuth, but he's still a very, very good prospect um, in terms of height, weight, physicality. Not the fastest guy, but enough speed. Speed. His speed is surprising. Again, he doesn't. He's not the
0: quickest guy. He does not get up to speed quickly. I but... don't think the time does him justice because of how a forty
1: is structured
0: like when when you look at him on the field the thing that will surprise you if you keep watching not just the highlights but the full tape even balls he didn't get thrown because again there were there were definitely routes he was open on that got left on the field his acceleration again through the second level and into the third level is whoa, yeah for a big guy he's really moving again not the he's not you know he's not Jalen Waddle off the line. Nobody's gonna mistake him for that. But when he starts moving, especially against like a linebacker down the seam, forget it. A he's you know six whatever he is five six and yeah. six four and a half two forty five I think. Is what yeah, is. and yeah. B he's motoring at that point. So yeah. quarterback puts it anywhere near him, you're talking about a twenty five thirty forty yard gain if anybody catches him. Uh, and that's going to be the thing that stands out early. It's not that he's a standout blocker or that he's going to be really great in the short game. He can, he's functional in the short game, but you get a couple of those seam routes where he gets loose
1: on a linebacker and you know, he's five yards past them when he catches the ball. Yeah. I I want people to ignore the four seven flat because he's one of the guys where it doesn't like, this is very much a trust the GPS, because when you think about how a 40 is run, it you can shave off two hundredths of a second if you get a good start. If you don't have a good track start, you know, some of these guys that have run uh, amazing times like Alec Pierce, I looked it up, volleyball, basketball, track. Mm. If you have a track background and know how to get out of a, a stance with track start and know the mechanics of running, you're going to run a lot faster than somebody like Dulcich who doesn't have that background, is not used to, you know, lining up in a four point stance and getting out and, you know, doing the whole you know, runner's gate and everything like that to shave off a 10th of a second. Like he's not four, seven in pads. You watch him on the field and he's GPS. He's clocking very high speeds in pads, which is what matters. So he is a seam ripper. He's not a track runner. There are some guys that are both. He's only one. (laughs) And he's (laughs) the one you want. If you're the the one you want, he's the one you want. So again, he is, he is fast. I do not have as high a grade of him overall, like I said, as I did on Pitts, obviously, and also not on Fryermuth, because Firemouth could block his ass off. Mm-hmm. But in terms of ceiling, all ceiling team, somebody at that size, that weight, that length, that speed, if he hits a ceiling, very high-quality player, at least in the receiving game, which is what we're going for here. Now, potentially even higher ceiling than that, and that's saying a lot. Armani Rodgers, who... Uh, ironically had his pro day cuz he was not a combine invite uh, at UCLA cuz they invited a whole bunch of prospects to come you know work out with them that don't get their own pro days he was a quarterback at UNLV and Miami Ohio converted to tight end went to Shrine Bowl literally never ran a route in his entire life till he got to Shrine Bowl that was like his first day ever running a route immediately started dominating people cuz he's 6'5 230 runs 458 Uh, I believe he had 10. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. He had 1010 in the broad, which is at 230. Unbelievable. And I actually think it was more than 230 because he was 230 at Shrine. I think he put on even more weight uh, before pro day because he's trying to bulk up to play tight end. And he had a 34 inch vert. He is just an, an unbelievable athlete. And when he showed up at Shrine and was just ripping these D1 DBs a new asshole every single practice. He was one of the most intriguing players at that entire game. And you and I were sitting on the sideline watching him when he opened up. It's a different kind of speed than you. It looks like a wide receiver. It's it's breathtaking. And so when we're talking about all ceiling, if he hits his ceiling, his ceiling is higher than Greg Dulcich. Mm-hmm. It, it just straight up is. But because he's never played a snap at tight end in a real game in his life, he's learning a new position all that kind of stuff. He's probably going to be a 7th round pick at best. Most likely going to be UDFA, but mm-hmm. somebody's going to look at those times cuz every scout was at UCLA and be like, "Um, we need to make sure he doesn't hit the market. We need to take him in the 7th." So, I would still bet he's going to get drafted. If he hits his ceiling, he's going to be Darren Waller, Julius Thomas, that kind of guy.
0: Yeah, and we've, you know, it's not an unheard of path, right? We've seen quarterbacks hit the league and turn into tight ends, and he played quarterback for most of his college career. Uh, went to Ohio University, not Miami of Ohio, so he's a Bobcat. Oh, sorry, I had that yep. backwards. Nope, he was a Bobcat. And um, again, at his size, like, he was starting the bulk-up process at Shrine, so he was still in the sort of two mid-220s range high two twenties range. He looked like a wide receiver. There's plenty of wide receivers. I mean, we just talked mm-hmm. about guys that are, you know, 6'3, 214. If you're looking at a guy that's 6'5, 220, it doesn't really look any different. And he ran like a wide receiver. So it all made sense. And it's like, Oh wait, tight end. All right. And to see somebody running routes and then we got a chance to sit down and interview him. And we're like, so like, how's your tight end training been going? Because I, I don't know. I think we both assumed that he had already started training before Shrine Bowl. And he was like, um, no, that was, I was the first, first ones. And we we're like, first ones, what? And he was like, no, that's the first routes I've ever run. And we were like T- today on the practice field at UNLV, it was the first routes you've ever run. He's like, yeah, I've been a quarterback. And we're like, but you didn't like, go to exos or go to athletes performance or go to the tight end summit or something and run some routes you haven't been running routes at your local high school like nothing he's like no and we just both of our jaws hit the floor in unison we were like okay <laughs> I mean fathoming how difficult that is yeah the folks are trying top quality football players and he was dusting them on day one never having run routes yikes that's an all ceiling player right there give him a while right it's not going to be a six-month thing it's not probably even going to be a year thing but a year and a half from now two years from now end of his second season maybe he spends the first season on the practice squad that's fine end of year two this is a guy if he continues to build his athletic resume gets with the coach he has a little bit of patience he's gonna make some plays
1: even if you don't believe in him as a blocker, just keep him at 230 and just leave him at wide receiver. Because there's 6'5", 230 wide call receivers. Him a, like, <laughs> call
0: him a power slot. I don't care what you call him. There's yeah. a lot, if we're being honest, there's a lot of tight ends in the league that can't block at all. And a lot of tight ends in this class that can't block at all. So even if his blocking is get in the way at best, if he's able to run routes... Really good routes at four or five, at say 230 or 235. I don't care what you call him.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you're you're going to call I think, him
0: productive.
1: I, he's got Ravens written all over him. Hmm. I, I, personally, for me, because they love to take these kind of guys in day three where they're like, we don't know what you are yet. We're going to figure it out. You know what? Just a few years. You know what I thought about?
0: Huh. The Giants.
1: With Dable? Uh huh. And just be like, hey, go study Dawson Knox and do everything he does.
0: <laughs> you know, or, you know, a combination of, so there was a guy here, Evan Engram, <laughs> who weighed what you weigh, but is shorter. Yeah. Um, watch his college tape <laughs> and yeah. do some of that because that's what got Evan Engram drafted. And Dable's going to understand how to use a tight end too, which is what Armani Rogers is going to be. He's going to have some creative formations where they come out in big and Armani Rogers is kind of hanging out as like the third guy off the end of the line. And they're like, Oh, they're all lined up to row. Oh, no, <laughs> anybody, anybody keep up with that guy? No, nobody can keep up with that guy because we were in heavy trying to stop him. Oh yeah. And our linebacker doesn't run four or five flat.
1: Oops. Well, even if you can keep up with him, you probably can't out jump him. So no, yeah. yeah, a lot he's of potential. Be, he's gonna be fun. Uh, let's get to offensive tackle now. Again, another another group where you and I had almost entirely different lists. Um, and some guys we have projected to different positions either uh, as well. Um, your tie for you know all sealing team in terms of chalk guys are Charles Cross and Bernhard Bernhard Ryman uh, from the Chippewas, and then uh, my chalk guys I got Trevor Penning from. Northern Iowa. Uh, you personally see Penning as a guard. I see him as a... See if he could play tackle, and if he gets completely abused, then kind of move him inside. But he's just so damn athletic mm. and long and big that I at least want to try him at tackle. And he's working with Duke Weather, who tends to fix a lot of issues with people. And believe me, Penning has issues. He has so many issues. But if anybody can fix it, it's Duke. I just want to see what he can do at tackle (laughs) first. And if it doesn't work fine, you can kick him inside. He could basically be like Alex Boone, but more athletic. Um, But I just want to see what he's got outside first.
0: Yeah, I understand that and and I've had this conversation with a lot of people. A lot of people tell me I'm wrong or, you know, tell me that their opinion is that penning is a tackle. I, I we have a similar opinion about penning, you're just stronger about wanting to see that first. I think penning can be a tackle. Look look at the building blocks, right? Size, speed, crazy athletic size. But we all know about crazy athletes that don't play a position particularly well doesn't have to be tackle could be linebacker there's the, you know there's a long list of those in the league i think his traits especially his demeanor make him a very good starting guard real quick whereas tackle he's going to have to continue to work and he could be very good there is his ceiling at tackle since we're talking about ceiling as high as his ceiling at guard no i think his ceiling at guard starts off with oh my god and gets better I think he's, he to me gives me a lot of the second coming of Richie incognito vibes on the field, like his demeanor, his absolute physicality, his snap out of his stance in terms of how quick he is, which you need a guard. Cause again, the distance is shorter. That's kind of the idea, less space to manage, but it happens faster. It's in your face quicker. I don't think he'll have any trouble with that based on his athletic profile. And look, he likes to drill people. And so to me, that lends itself to being a great guard very quickly and could be a good tackle or maybe a great tackle, but it would take longer. Now, depends on your value and worth in your scheme, but no arguing that this is a big, angry dude who's a really good athlete. My two cross is... Uh, is so good right now and i don't think he's as good as he can be and that makes a ceiling guy but i can't leave bernard Ryman off because when the pandemic started Ryman was a tight end yeah gained 40 pounds in one year can you believe that i can <laughs> the crazier thing is that his transition from one position to another happened in a time of the least amount of contact and he's already as good as he is and mm-hmm. he's crazy athletic He's got gifts upon gifts to be able to play tackle really well. And the thing that stands out to me is you can actually watch him learn on tape, like in the course of a game. In fact, and I'll raise my hand as having embarrassed myself pretty badly, was watching tape late one night and Ryman was last on my list. Mm -hmm. And I got through about the first third of the game and I was like, man, man, this guy's same thing you said about penning. This guy's got a lot of tools, but he's got a lot of issues. I think he might be a better guard. So I snapped off a message to our good friend, Brandon Thorne, via DMs and Twitter and said, do you see Ryman Moore as a tackle, as a guard? And then didn't bother to say anything else because it was already like 11. Then I watched the other two thirds of the game and watched him literally fix all of his issues from the first third of the game and handle things easily by the end of the game that were plaguing him badly in the first quarter like outside speed rushes with a soft shoulder like he was getting massacred in the first quarter and i was like man he's really he's got and by the end of the game he's playing lockdown left tackle and didn't even come close to getting beat again by those moves multiple times and so it's like you can watch this progression and you realize he's so young in the position he's still seeing moves for the first time Almost every time he goes out, defenders are throwing new stuff at him and he's having to like learn on the fly. The fact that he's in the top consideration for one of the top, I, he's my fourth ranked tackle in this class. We already put out our tackle rankings is astounding. <laughs> like it's crazy. He's so young, in the position so athletic, like that's a ceiling guy wrapped up. So I couldn't leave him off the list.
1: He was allowing, or he got so good by the end of the year to your, to your point when you average out his hurries allowed by the end of the year, it was less than one per game. And they only allowed his quarterback to be touched four times all year. If you average it out the whole year, like, so by the end of the year, he was literally unbeatable, which I know we're talking about level of competition, blah, 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 blah. But like he went to play at death Valley at LSU and dominated them. So he played against top competition and still was great. Went to the senior bowl, just like penning had some reps where it was kind of kind of a wild ride i do want to to make one little note here a lot uh a big thing that i've noticed over the last few years in terms of a offensive tackles transition to the league is who are they working with Mm -hmm. the summer before they go to the pros yep there's some coaches that to be perfectly honest, I won't name names. Have fucked guys up. Yep. You look at Andrew Thomas and who he was working with. You look at Mackay um, uh, Becton and who he was working. With. He was working with Duke. Uh, Rayshawn Slater, Pro Bowl tackle, as a rookie, working with Duke. Um, like he, Duke is Duke is gold standard, and Penning is working with Duke. I I do wonder if part of the reason why Ryman struggled a little bit in Mobile. And I went back and I kind of looked at his sets in mobile versus his sets when he was at CMU and I was like this looks different. I think somebody was fucking with with his stance or not his stance with his uh with his, with set. his sets. Yeah. Like he was firing out and and kind of doing like this Howard Mudd type stuff where he's like, you know, really almost trying to like short set dudes at every possible occasion. Cut him off. You just yep. cut him off immediately and it's like you weren't you weren't doing that in college. You were, right. you, were, mirroring. You, were do, you were doing more of an angle set, letting him come to you, using your hands, all that. Like he was doing normal, good technique by, by the end of his time in college. And then all of a sudden he goes to the senior bowl. And like he's taking really sharp sets and going out there and just trying to fight people. And I'm like, that's, that's going to get you beat in the pros. Just like it got Andrew Thomas beat. And Andrew Thomas, by the way, was like unbeatable at Georgia goes to the pros where his feet were different, got wrecked, and it took him like 18 months <laughs> by, by his second year to like get right and get back to what he was doing. So there are some coaches where they're they, they are developing a little bit of a history of they tinker too much with people that have a good thing going. Hmm. And there are guys that go in the league and they suffer from that and it takes them a while to, to get better. I really hope that Ryman, for as physically gifted as he is, goes to somebody that will get him back to doing what he was doing in college because he was good at that. You know, take the angle set. Let people come to you because you're so damn big and strong. They're not going to go through you anyway. And you move so well. And you move so well. Like you don't you don't need to go attack people like the people that need to go attack people are the ones that like can't move. Yeah, and want to use length and,
0: you know, have really long arms and want to get in people, make contact early. I I get all that. So end of the story the next morning because it was super late by the time I finished the tape and I had to send Brandon a message and be like, okay, so I'm an idiot. He's a really good tackle. Please disregard my last. Yeah. I had to put my tail between my legs and eat my little bit of crow and say, yeah, I should have finished watching the whole tape before, you know,
1: <laughs> read all
0: the way to the test before doing anything. Yes, we,
1: we've all had that though, where we get to like the middle of the first quarter and we're like, what am I, what, what, what are my, what are we really here? doing here? <laughs> yeah. And I'm
0: sure Brandon actually, he's good. He answered me back and he was like, I was wondering about that. And he yeah. was like, Yep, I get it. I totally get it. You're, you're on. Like yeah. your first, your first comment was on and your second comment <laughs> was on, so
1: you're all good. I was like, oh, Okay, I feel like. Idiot. In terms of down the board, guys, you and I both have uh, have different names as well. Zach Tom for you, as well as Matt Willetzko from North Dakota. Uh, Zach Tom for me is my OT4. Um, Willetzko, I think I have in the tier below oh. that if I remember correctly. And then I have Braxton Jones from uh, Southern Utah. Somebody my... just
0: asked, who was your stone foresight this year? It's Zach Tom. Zach Tom's... <laughs> He's not In terms talking about of like me type being of player. like, uh-huh. high, yeah, 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 <laughs> higher.
1: I'm higher on Zach yeah. Tom than most people. Yep. But boy, they are so different. They are I, so no, different. No, not the
0: same player at all. Uh, and and not my two are not on the ceiling list for the same reason. Zach Tom is because he's sort of a tale of two cities right now. His pass sets are crazy impressive. Yeah. Like. His pass sets are enough to make you think, uh, like you do with Penning, I just want to try him at tackle. Like, he doesn't have ideal tackle dimensions, and a lot of people are like, oh, it'd be a great card. Same argument I made for Penning, but his pass sets are so pretty, unlike Penning's, that I'm like, I just want to see it And Yes, does he have issues? A lot. That's why he's not in the top conversation. For most people, I understand mm-hmm. you putting him up there, but I'm I'm tempted by his pass sets because they are gorgeous. And, well, let's go is not that he has terrible pass sets it's that the thing that stands out and the reason he's on my list is because he is a rare athlete at tackle and it's what got him on most people's radar because uh people might see north dakota and go oh so you know he played with christian watson no that's north dakota state (laughs) university of north dakota not a school that puts a lot of players in the pros And the reason he got noticed is because he is tall. (laughs) He is well over 300 pounds, and he is ridiculously athletic. And the NFL's got a trend of taking very athletic tackles and taking a chance on them because there's only so many guys on the planet that are that big and can move like that. And let's see if we can polish up their issues. And if we can get them late, all the better. We might get
1: a a Colton Miller, right? And you know what's possibly the most impressive part about his profile is his length. 36 and an 8th, which is the let's see look at it right now, 96th percentile. There's like five tackles in the last 20 years that are that are longer than him. And the last one that was that long was uh LaRaven Clark. Mm-hmm. Except, well, let's go, is just like a better player than LaRaven Clark when he was coming out of school. So, yep. and Clark I think was a Third or fourth round pick, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So he's going to go. He's going to go. People will
0: take chances on potential. And when you, again, like you look at a Zach Tom and you go, well, the potential is he's already a pretty good football player. It's not that he's super long. He's pretty, he's really athletic. But, you know, it's like, which of the building blocks do I get to put in With, with Let's Go? It's like, he's got a crazy frame. He's really tall. He's really long. Oh, he happens to be like a 98th percentile, you know athlete length. at tackle yeah. yeah no i mean his athletic scores are ridiculous his he was scores. uh his
1: res was 12th out of all tackles since 1987 so
0: yeah <laughs> i mean so it's pretty soon you put enough blocks in the bag and you go forget it just pick him we'll we'll figure it out and because yeah. if we do especially if you pick him in the fourth or the fifth or way down the board and he hits and becomes a functional nfl tackle you get a discount not only on the first contract But on the second one, too, because just like first round status stays with you and allows you to keep getting richer contracts than you should later on in your career, even if you don't perform, the opposite is true. If you draft a really quality NFL tackle, look at Charles Leno, right? Mm -hmm. Look at Charles Leno's lifetime earnings. He was a seventh round pick, and rightfully so. He didn't deserve to be hired, but he worked himself into being a very solid NFL tackle. He's on his, what, fourth contract in the NFL now?
1: He'll he'll be making... 30-plus million by the time his career is over. So congratulations, Charles Leno. Which is amazing, but if he yeah. had been a first-round tackle, it would be three times that. Probably. Yeah. But even then, is he's had the career length that first-round tackles oh, can no, dream of. So. Yeah, no,
0: it's fantastic. So people will take a shot on Wilesko. So Wilesko is the pure athlete, and Zach Tom is the... Man, look at that pass set. I think you could make that work.
1: I think even in Zach Tom, because again, it's the... Everybody always brings up the size. He's like 295 and the length and all that. I get that. Even if he doesn't work at tackle, elite guard potential. Like, elite guard potential. So I think he he deserves to be in terms of like quote unquote down the board guys for uh for all ceiling team. Because even if he doesn't reach his ceiling as a tackle, if he reaches his ceiling as a guard, it's Pro Bowl, which is exactly what we're going for here and uh, also by the way Braxton Jones speaking of athletes he's he was my pick for for DTB 6'5 310 35 and a half inch arms again we love that length you know sub 540 with a 177 split like he gets out quickly the agility drills are a little bit sketchy he's, he's more of a linear athlete than uh than Willett's go for sure and definitely more lean of a linear athlete than, than Zach, uh, Zach Tom excuse me but in the right system. <laughs> um I do think that you can mitigate I think his 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 hip issues a little bit. Um you know, just give him give him some help every now and then if you get certain fronts or, you know, if if he's going up against like a a super fast nine technique like okay, just give him a little chip help against those guys, but you're you're getting him on day 3 and he's got the length he's got the the explosiveness. He's got potential. There's just some things that he won't do well, which is stopping <laughs> speed rushers, which again, mm. for a day three tackle, you don't expect them to be perfect. So I think he is a guy that if he hits a ceiling could be a quality starter in the NFL, which for somebody you're taking in that draft range is more than you could ever hope for. Yeah. It's money is what that is. Uh, let's get to guard by the way.
0: Yeah. So, so top, Top Chalk, we've talked about. Trevor Penning and Tyler Smith are guards for me. Both of them, I think, are elite guards, and that's why they're there, plug and play. They're getting plenty of ink, um, and you know they deserve it. They're and terrific. we've talked about them multiple and times. And we've, we've talked about too. them, yeah. Now, you have my top tackle as your Chalk guard.
1: Yes, and people are going to be a little bit weirded out that I have Ikemaquanu, uh as a Chalk guard all ceiling guard. I put out a film room episode where I said, "Look, he can absolutely play tackle and play tackle at a high level, but I do think that in a in a gap system or a system that runs a lot of power, you're pulling guards constantly, all that kind of stuff. I think his ceiling as a guard exceeds his ceiling even as a tackle. And that's saying a lot cuz the ceiling as a tackle is super high." His ceiling as a guard is like Quentin Nelson, like if we're being honest. So again, we're talking about all ceiling team of like, if he reaches his potential as a guard, he could potentially be an all pro every year in in, phenomenal talent, great length, great power, probably the best run blocker in this class at any position, um, very light on his feet, obviously has some technical issues to clean up, gets over his toes too much. Uh, You know, the Florida state edges kind of beat him up a little bit, took care, took, took advantage of, uh, of him kind of making himself off balance a little bit because he's just too aggressive. But, you know, in as a guard, I think he get protected a little bit from that because he's going against guys that don't have, the same kind of runway that a true edge rusher does. So they're not going to be able to set him up as much. And it's more about short setting and getting hands on. And once his hands are on you, you're, you're done anyway. But when you also factor in how quick he is as a polar, how fast he is out in space, like you can actually, you know, run him to the edge as a polar. You don't just have to run power inside of a kickout block every time. Like he can get out in space, which he does all the time at NC state. They would pull him as a tackle, across and Mm -hmm. run dart with him all the time because they could so just taking advantage of that athleticism and that physicality you put him at guard he's an all pro you put him at tackle he could maybe be a pro bowler if he gets the right coaching but i'm telling you at guard that he's a he's one of the top five six guards in the league in my opinion yeah
0: i can i see the argument i'm not going to dig into it because i think he can be I think he can absolutely be a pro bowler, or a tackle. That's why he's my number one tackle. But that's totally could be. Totally could be. That's yeah. why the draft is the draft. In terms of down the board, guys, I have Tyler Smith's other tackle from Tulsa as yep. my down the board guard in Chris Paul, because for many of the same reasons you just talked about with making the, the speed. Chris Paul is, you know, three, whatever he is, fifteen, three twenty, and ran uh four eight, four I
1: nine I have it right here. Let me yeah. find it. A-
0: like, if you want a guy that can move at speed, has the ability to hit people in space, um, four eight nine, yeah, yeah, four eight nine at three 3- twenty three, yeah, three twenty three. That's a crazy athletic feat. So Chris Paul, you're going to get in that sort of you know after the sweet spot of guards starts in sort of the mid third, going down to the third, the fourth, possibly even the fifth. Chris Paul's going to be hanging around down there. You get him plug a minute guard and you know if you're running I, I really don't care what you're running you could run wide zone if you want to he could also be fine in a gap scheme where he's using the speed to pull you know there's a very good guard there down the board and if he you know i think that's we've talked a lot about guys who are guards and tackles we talked about uh, in our 10 gems um Kenyon green from Texas A&M, who they played at tackle didn't, and this is in college. Played him at tackle, didn't look great. Played him at guard, looks amazing. And you know, Paul played tackle for most of his college career. I think he's one of those guys that we classically say might be a better pro than he was a college player, and he was a damn good college player. You kick him into guard, I really do think it fits his sort of natural abilities and tendencies better. Is he going to be at the same level as a lot of the guys you were talking about? No, I don't think he's going to be an all pro, but again, you're picking him in the fifth round. If he is a very serviceable, functional guard that plays for many years and you got him in the fifth round, great money in the bank.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of the sweet spot of the draft for interior offensive linemen. We see it every single year, you know, from like round three to round five. Like you look at how many great guards in the league whether they were former tackles former centers or played garden college that go in that range that's it. every year that's every year
0: that's the spot where you go after them and you don't need to go after them earlier you can but typically you're going to go after those tackles because they're harder to get and they cost more draft capital because they are more rare yeah you can make money third fourth fifth round going after guards and centers
1: so my my chalk pick was Aquanu. my dtb pick for this uh in terms of ceiling guys you're gonna get a little bit later not that much later i again he's that classic somewhere around round three round four is uh sean ryan from ucla mm-hmm. another guy that we saw live last august i think it was at ucla practice and we got about two reps in and we, we leaned over to our guy that was taking a tour and i literally said to him I was like that's a guard right and he's like oh yeah but he'll murder people there. <laughs> yeah.
0: He was like, oh, no. He, that's what I was going to ask you. What did he say about him? He's like, oh, no, he's a guard. Yeah. But he didn't say it in a bad way, like, oh, he's not a tackle. He's, oh, no, he is a guard. Yeah. He was said in a very positive, like, that's his spot. That's where he belongs. That's where he's going to hurt people. Like, he's a guard. We're going to play him And he's going to be wanted for,
1: guard. like, felony assault by week three because of what he does to people. He is so fucking powerful. Yeah. He's like, oh, my power. God. He's His got a great vert.
0: smile too after he mashes
1: people. Oh, he enjoys it. He enjoys big, the big violence. He's a broad, of the position. happy dude. Yeah, but I mean, 33 and a half inch vert for a guy that is 6'4, 321. Like, that's, that's the kind of first step explosion we're talking about here. Like, when he fires off and hits somebody, they go backwards pretty much every single time. And. It's one of the things that that I think people undervalue about, you know, oh, do scouts need to go see people live? Do they need to go to practice? Hearing the pads was, that's what I think really first kind of turned me out of Sean Ryan as a guard. Hearing the sound of the pads, every rep that he took. It's, okay, college uh, college sound, college sound, college sound, NFL sound there was a visceral difference in the sound that everybody made when they touched him. And usually it was some sort of guttural scream, but he is, he is so damn strong. And I get, he doesn't have the feet for tackle. He doesn't have the length for tackle. He's sub 33 inch arms and, and all that. No, but I'm not everybody asking knew that.
0: That was the, gr- the, we're talking about a lot of these guys and we're still, we're going to be having these debates. Pro teams are having these debates right now. There was no debate. His college team knew it. There was no debate. Every scout that <laughs> came to They played him a tackle because they
1: could. Yeah. Like
0: that's, that's it. Every, everybody that came to UCLA as a scout was not like, oh, Sean Ryan, maybe I'll play him a tackle. Not after like three or four reps of outside speed in the Pac-12. They were like, nope. Oh, yeah. I'll play him at guard. Yeah. No. For sure. I'd like to play him at guard. As a matter of fact, can we have him as a guard? Like, you know, by the time they leave and make that, but everybody was just so solid about it. I love that. There was no mystery about it. Like, Nope, he's a guard. And he's going to be a good one. Like, yeah, done.
1: Now moving on to centers, there is a little bit about a little bit of a debate about, about our top guy. He's both of our chalk pick at center, but he probably could have been our chalk pick at guard too. And that's Zion. Do you know why I put him at center? because you wanted to make room to put other people at guard. <laughs> That's 100% right. I you was wanted like a how going to get around yeah. this. Yeah, I was like <laughs>
0: interior often I could do guard and center and then we could talk about like six people instead of three or four. Um yeah, no. Zion is a much better athlete I think than A lot of people give him credit for they they know he's technically fine they know he went to the senior bowl and that he was snapping and working done a lot of work at guard he was definitely making himself ready as a center because that's a very common projection by nfl teams he's a he's an elite athlete i don't care where you pick to put him pick a spot put him there let him settle let him work in he's got enough experience enough athletic traits he's going to be real good. I don't care where he is that he's just going to continue to get better. Just please don't move him all over. Don't put him at left for camp and then right for the season. And then halfway through, Oh, let's move him to center. Like, don't do that to a young player, pick a spot. I don't care what the spot is. He's going to be good at any of the three interior spots. Doesn't really matter to me. You think he's a center. Great. Have him snap, you know, give him some help with protection calls the first year. Like you have to do with almost any center not all but almost any center and then just let him develop and he's going to be really good the honorable mention would be dylan parham who Mm -hmm. is a crazy good athlete um at memphis and you know could do guard could do center but is just so crazy athletic now down the board the guy that's getting all the attention is cam jurgens from nebraska and when I watched Cam Jurgens, I was like, what is all the fuss about? Because he's he's wild right now. <laughs> he is like a wild bull, a wild whatever. He's like a wild animal. He is all over the place. The tape I watched, he had two, not one, but two 15-yard personal foul penalties for a center. Nebraska, man. That's how they roll. It's not Nebraska. (laughs) Like they were both crazy, undisciplined plays way down the field, where he's just driving somebody's face into the turf that was like twenty-five yards out of the play. So got to be a little bit smarter about that. But I was like, "What is it all about?" And then I realized he was twenty-five yards down the field. He got there in a damn hurry. And then you start looking at his testing numbers. And as an athlete, Cam Jurgens is silly as as an athlete period just as a football player like unreal potential athletically and again this being the all ceiling team if he lives up to those athletic numbers with that demeanor he's like a much faster ryan jensen
1: (laughs) i i was gonna say if he if he hits his ceiling uh, it's jason kelsey in terms of movement ability, like that's one of yeah, the very few yeah, centers. There you, go. That- you take
0: Kelsey's movement ability and Ryan Jensen's like, absolute, I want to tear your head off mentality and fuse them together. Like, yeah, that's the potential ceiling for Jurgens. Is he going to hit it? I have no idea. But that's why people are talking about him is because he's mean as all get out on the football field and he is top like two percentile. If you add everything up for an interior offensive lineman in general, he's just, he is wild in every sense. If he can tame that a little bit,
1: he can be really, really good. I mean, 33 and a half inch vert, 492 in the 40, 171 split. That's the key number there. It's just absurd quickness and short air explosiveness. Uh, just really fluid hips really good feed like he's again needs to be refined all that kind of stuff i do think play strength uh because he's only 303 a little bit of an issue as it is for most you know kind of lightweight centers but if he goes to a predominantly outside zone system where it's less about that and more about movement and positioning and all that kind of stuff it'll be it'll be mitigated a little bit just like it was for kelsey and kelsey when he was coming out wasn't as strong as he is now, you know, I think he got some grown man strength as he was in the league. So you hope that Cam Jurgens will be a similar story. Um, so if he hits a ceiling, he's Jason Kelsey. If Zion Johnson hits a ceiling, I think he's Travis Frederick. So we're looking at two all pro caliber ceilings here. Um, I think interior offensive line, at least at the top is one of the few groups that you could look at and, and, and put up their top prospects and it's top prospects from, from classes in previous years. It's, it's one of the the more intriguingly strong, if I can use those words, groups in this class because you have Johnson and Jurgens and Parham and all the tackles that are convert to guard and we're going to know them as guards in the league. Like it's it's going to be a sneaky good guard class because of that. Um, defensive tackle now. Now, both of our chalk pick, how could we not say Jordan Davis? Because obviously Jordan Davis, but we do differ On our down-the-board picks, you've got Eric Johnson, the second from Missouri State, and I've got um, my guy Matt Henningsen from Wisconsin.
0: Yeah, Eric Johnson uh, is not a name most folks will know, uh, even draft watchers. Missouri State, uh, not a power school, for sure. Ridiculous athlete at defensive tackle. This is three-tech size, right? 6'4", 299, 34 inch vert at 300 pounds broad of nine feet shuttle of 477 three cone of 733 at 300 pounds and a 40 yard dash of 488 now you were talking about Jurgens' 10 yard split being 17 what 171 171
1: eric johnson 163 which is quicker, if I recall correctly, than Aaron Donald's ten-yard split, which, if memory serves, was one six seven. Yeah. So,
0: so talking about a very compact guy who has good play strength, made plays on tapes. Not that he's a just an athlete and a bad football player. Not the case but some really distinct gifts for his position. So if he's able to maximize that work on his play strength, again, NFL strength and conditioning has a way of evening a lot of those things out. And it's not like strength is going to be his primary as a three tech. It's about penetration. And if he's that quick off the ball and 488 at 300 pounds, He's got what a lot of teams are looking for at that spot, which
1: is go get them. It's funny how, you know, both of our picks for down the board, uh, you know, ceiling defensive tackles are decidedly different than, than the uh, physical profile of our chalk pick because Jordan Davis is like 6'6", 340. Um, and well, there is nobody are, like Jordan Davis as a physical so it's, pick. <laughs> it's, 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 it's tough to like, oh, find another guy built like that. I was thinking, ah, do I want to do Noah Ellis? It's like, no, it's not the same. It's, it's, it's the same. totally different. So I, I was like, okay, just find a freaky athlete mm-hmm. that qualifies as defensive tackle. He's not going to play the same spot as Jordan Davis, but just find a freaky athlete. And I landed on Matt Henningson from Wisconsin. 6'3, 289. Keep in mind, I'm going to be comparing his numbers to Aaron Donald, who's like the gold standard of, you know, up the field, penetrating three techs. Donald was 6'1, 285. So he's bigger than Donald. 37 and a half inch vert. Donald was weirdly only 32 in the vert somehow. Uh, 9'11 broad. Donald was 9'8. 7'16 three cone. Now, Donald had a legendary 7'11 at 285, which was, like, absurd. 716 is right there. That's still, like, 96th percentile. 429 shuttle, which is a full 10th faster than Donald. So Matt Henningsen is an Aaron Donald-caliber athlete. Now, not an Aaron Donald-caliber player. I personally had Donald (laughs) top five... In my mock draft, when he was coming out in 2014, back when I first started doing this kind of stuff, I think I had him at five to the Raiders, if I remember the draft order from that year correctly. Um, and Henningsen will probably go somewhere in the mid-rounds. But when you watch Wisconsin, if you're, you know, you're watching Leo Chanel, you're watching Sanborn, you're watching any of these Wisconsin D guys, or, or if you're watching any of the Big Ten guys going against Wisconsin, you're going to notice Henningsen make plays, and he's going to make some crazy plays. And that was kind of the my first introduction to Henningsen was when I was watching Leo Chanel. And I was like, who the fuck is 92? <laughs> it happens all he, the time. He, he dude, backdoored this tackle on. He backdoored this tackle and like ran down the running back 10 yards outside the hash. And I'm like, who is that? And it was Matt Henningsen. And I was like, I didn't know he could move like that. And then he, he put up the numbers he did, and I was like, all right, the tape kind of makes a little bit more sense now. The dude's a little bit of a freak, so if he goes to the right spot, that lets him just do that. Yeah, he's gonna be really good. Yeah, the run and chase uh,
0: is impressive, and and it's just I'm laughing because it happens on so many tapes, right? You're like, I'm here for this guy, right? Here <laughs> yeah. for this guy. I'm here for this. Who the hell is that? <laughs> like, look at that guy. Would you? And, you know sometimes it's a draft eligible guy, but the worst is when you're looking. It happened to me this week when I was watching, watching the tape, I was like, man, that guy's, that guy's making some play. Freshman. Okay. Yeah. Gonna be going to be
1: waiting a little bit. Um, you know, red or that sophomore. Alabama edge that you can't stop watching every time you watch a Bama kid.
0: Yeah. The one whose
1: number I screwed up.
0: Yeah. I his numbers top five next year. Yeah, when I was watching Federian Mathis, because he's one digit off Federian Mathis, and I watched tape all cloudy eyed one morning and got halfway through, and I was like, wait, is it 47 or 4? Oh, no. <laughs> that's that's the worst. But it's great. You know, you see those guys all the time, and you're like, man, you know, is this guy draftable? And, uh, and in case, he is. And again, put him in a system where you're going to ask him to penetrate, where you're going to ask him to get upfield, where you're going to ask him to chase. Um, Fire through gaps. Uh, he's he can wreak some havoc as a rotational three, which look, if you're getting him in the fourth or fifth round, that's what he is. Um, it's the kind of guy, not the same physical profile of player, but in terms of like where they were drafted and what they did early in their career and what they grow into, it's like Greg Gaines, right? Greg mm-hmm. Gaines, not super highly drafted, came in, made a ton of plays, like. You know, had his moment in the spotlight this year. And everybody's like, Greg Gaines, like where'd he come from? And you're like, middle rounds, defensive tackle, you know, he's
1: gonna be able to make plays. Henningson, put him in that system, let him chase. It's gonna be great value. Yeah. Um, let's get to defensive end, which again, if you if you didn't listen to the last episode, when we talk about defensive end versus edge, we kind of qualify them as two different positions. Defensive end, we're talking like, okay, four down front. Six technique, five technique, like some people want to call it the base end. You know, if you're thinking about like the the Pete Carroll defense where you know you got a 280 pound defensive end that you can sometimes kick inside a nickel, like those those kind of guys that, that play the run really well, that can take on double teams from tight ends, um, all that kind of stuff. Our chalk pick for that role, obviously going to be Trayvon Walker, because why wouldn't it be? He's going to be potentially a top three some people are even saying top one pick now some people are saying like oh he's in play for jacksonville i still think it's going to be hutchinson because it seems like it's been hutchinson for a while but considering the athlete that walker is you won't it, it would not surprise me if if he goes number one um i'm not betting on it but it wouldn't surprise me if that makes sense What's, what's the terms like shocking, but not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Trayvon Walker is like, obviously going to be our chalk pick for that. He's like a 99.9 RAS. Uh, one of the freakiest defensive end prospects we've ever seen Our down the board pick. Sorry. My cat is playing with my mic in the middle of the a show. Little, little wants attention. Little tonight. wants attention tonight. Uh, our down the board picks differ a little bit. You got Zach Paschal. And I have, hold on, hold on. You I did wrote, too. I wrote down the pronunciation. No, you said Zach Pascal. What, is it not Pascal?
0: It's Josh Pascal. Zach Pascal's the receiver for Indianapolis. God the, damn it. I did the same thing. <laughs> this is so funny. We didn't talk about this. I did that like three times writing this. I said it in my head. I said Zach. And I was like, no, 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 no. It's not Zach. It's Josh. And I'm sitting here and you said Zach. And I was like... D- he did the same thing I did. Oh, me, I can't tell when, you how many no.
1: radio shows, how many podcasts I've done that. on Like that name trips me up more than any others. And that we
0: all have our own names. That trip I think I up. even
1: wrote it in the banner. Oh my God. I'm
0: an idiot. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. This, this receiver, he's going to be a great defensive tackle. No. Uh, Josh Pascal from Kentucky. Uh, again. When we're talking about base ends, we're talking about a guy that's going to take on an offensive tackle, like head up or on the inside shoulder a bunch. Like, that's that's their role. Can they go outside? Yeah, but you want a guy that's, you know, got some sand in the pants that can go up against bigger tackles on a regular basis. And Josh Baskell is the guy that did that at Kentucky. They moved him inside on passing downs, which is not surprising for a lot of these guys with more speed to go try and penetrate, beat guards on third and long, but... You know, typically he was lined up as that sort of heavy base end, and made a ton of plays in the SEC, like lots of tackles for loss. He's got really good size. He's super quick. Um, He's not going to be like down, down the board. We're still talking about like a top hundred pick, but he's sort of probably at the edge of the hundreds, Uh, you know, the first hundred. So uh, it's it's down the board, but it's not way down the board. Now, I'm not going to steal your thunder. Here's your chance.
1: Okay. I practiced this. Th- I practiced this. <laughs> hey, great, I made, my, I made a myself start. Uh, a start. <laughs> double old fashioned, working its magic an hour and a half yes. into the show. Yes. Um, okay. So I wrote down the pronunciation because Minnesota is one of the lovely schools that has prospects or players say their name so that we don't yes. fuck it up. So it is a Otamewo. Otomewo. Yes.
0: That's nailed pretty, it. That's pretty solid. I got it. Nailed say. it. Especially with the double old fashion in you. That's that's good. That's and brutal. he
1: is a, a defensive end from the University of Minnesota. He is 6'5", 285. So again, we're talking about big ass, base end. Um, 34 and 7 inches arms. So let's just call it 35 inch arms. Yeah. 21 on the bench with that kind of length, which is not easy to do. Um, 35.5 inch vert. Which at that it's size, at 285. Again, not, not normal. Real. Very not normal. Nine four the broad. <laughs> um, he actually so he got a knee injury in his last game at Minnesota in the bowl game. So he didn't get to work out of the combine, and then he didn't get to work out of the pro day where Boy Amafe put up like ridiculous numbers, and he had his own workout. What's today? Tuesday, so yesterday. Um, and so I Reached out to uh, Arif Hassan, our local, you know, Minnesota sports expert, and I was like, "Hey, do you know what he did in his in this like extra workout?" And so he he sent me um, some numbers, and, and that was what he did. But he ran the forty again, but pulled up in the middle of the forty, so he didn't even get to finish the workout. So unfortunately, his entire pre-draft process has been ruined by injuries, whether it was a knee or pulling up in the forty. Like it's 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 been a mess. Not his fault, obviously. It's just been very unfortunate. But when you watch him on tape, you can see that 35 and a half inch vert. You can actually see that 21 bench show up because he bench presses tackles off of him. You can see the athleticism. And that was why I was so intrigued about what his numbers were because I was like, okay, is he going to test like how he looks? Because how he looks (laughs) is a crazy athlete. Uh, And yes, he did test like that. They lined him up. At nine, they lined him up at six, five. They put him at nose sometimes in sub packages just because like he was everywhere. Um, And the fact that he and Mafé were on the same line is... And they swapped (laughs) him. And that was the thing when I was... I watched
0: Mafé first and... It's obviously not uncommon in college or the pros now to swap out pretty much the whole line. It's almost like a hockey line shift, like all four guys, both ends and both defensive tackles go out. A fresh new four come in. The other thing they'll do is swap ends. And Michigan was the other one that did this with Hutchinson and Ojabo, right? They would swap, right? But Hutchinson and Ojabo are kind of different players. They have different body types, different styles, you know. Pretty obvious when they swap. There was a couple of plays where I was like, Man, Mafe is beating the hell out of that guy. And I was like, That's not Mafe's number. <laughs> oh, they swapped him on me. Oh, and it's, you know, so I looked him up and that's otomeo And I was like, Wow, that guy, that dude is beating that guy. Like, he uh-huh. is beating that guy up. And both of them can do it because we're going to talk about Mafe in a minute. But like the fact that they had both of those guys, a defensive end, and just kind of swapped him, like, if I was a tackle playing Minnesota, an offensive tackle playing Minnesota, I would have been like
1: long day. <laughs> like can you imagine in uh, Falele in practice going against these two guys? Like, God, iron sharpens iron. Yeah, for
0: sure. They're both and they and the thing is they do play the same way. They're both big guys, they're both mm-hmm. strong guys. They both just are coming on every snap. They're they're gonna bring it. And if you're in the way of that, it's gonna get old really quick because they're both big and strong and fast and aggressive. And they're not the like, Hey, I'm just going to try and skirt around you like defensive ends. They're going to go through you more often than not. Um, really impressive player. The, the less heralded of the two we're going to talk about is more heralded running mate in the next section edge. But um, don't, don't sleep on on Like if he heals up and the injury bug doesn't follow him,
1: he's going to be a high quality rotational defensive end in the NFL. Why don't we get to Edge and talk about Boyamafe, who was uh, your chalk tier pick or one of your chalk tier picks? Yeah,
0: him and Jermaine Johnson. And we've talked about them a lot. And a lot of people have talked about Boyamafe, especially after his combine workout. But even beforehand, he was on Feldman's freak list. Everybody knew he was going to test really well. And he he did play up to it. He's not one of those workout warriors that, you know, oh, you He ran that much. He benched that much. He jumped that high. It doesn't look like that on tape. No. When you watch him on tape, you can see evidence of all that. And Jermaine Johnson's the other one because everybody's like, oh, Jermaine Johnson, he's an an edge rusher, right? Well, yeah, he is. But watch Jermaine Johnson set the edge on the run. Mm -hmm. Woof. Like, that is a complete football player. And if he continues, his ceiling is defensive player of the year candidate i
1: I didn't want to say it i'm glad you did no he'll be in the running is
0: he gonna beat the guys that are there well maybe not because that is one of the mutant factory categories in the nfl like defensive ends in the nfl there's pretty much at least one on every team some teams have two and they're all just so is he gonna win it i don't know to be considered as somebody that might be in the running like That's Jermaine Johnson ceiling. If he keeps going at the pace, he's going, he has the talent. He's got the size, he's got the frame. So we don't need to talk about those two, those guys too much, but your guy at chalk was one of my defensive gems.
1: Yeah. That's uh, Arnold Ebakiti from Penn state who this is one of the guys where I was so intrigued to get the numbers on him because I thought it was going to be good. um, But I wanted to kind of like back up my Justin Houston cop with numbers and basically see, like, see, they're the same person. Uh, and they like they actually are the same person. 6'2", <laughs> 250, so squatty body, but thick. 34-inch arms, which for somebody who's 6'2", not normal. So not only does he have the leverage advantage for being shorter, but he also has crazy length, just like Justin Houston did, who was a shorter guy, but with lengths, who's very hard to deal with, very hard to dig out, both in the run and pass game. 38-inch uh, vert shows up in his, in his first step. 10-8 broad, shows up in his first step. six nine five three three-cone. The sub-7 three-cone is one of the biggest indicators of pass rush success in the NFL. So he's got that. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the history of guys that are sub-4-7 in the 40, sub-7 three-cone, 36-plus-inch vert, which he's at 38, the broad he's got, the length he's got, The amount of guys with those dimensions, and by the way, his production in a major conference, the amount of guys with those dimensions and production that fail is virtually non-existent. I think he's one of the safest edge picks in the draft because he checks basically every single box you could ever want. Yeah, so I made him a gem.
0: My my explanation, <laughs> my explanation was shorter than yours, but we yeah. agreed that like the thing that we saw on tape when we watched him together, we watched him together for the first time uh, at the Shrine Bowl is when he gets around that corner, when he uses that six, nine, five cornering. Right. It is immediate and violent to the quarterback. Like it yeah. is a square angle. He is by he turns and then it is two steps and it's accelerating to annihilate the quarterback not three two one two bang and it that's how he rushes and he wins a lot um so no obviously no issues with your chalk pick um down the board god it doesn't get talked about because he's just a little odd to mention wise and that's amare barno from virginia tech so a lot of people paid attention after the combine because he ran a four three six forty which i just giggled talking about because shouldn't be possible a one four nine ten yard split at a, six four two forty five by the way for a defensive end again yeah. one four we've been talking about hey one six is really good like low one sixes is good he ran a one four nine ten yard split and he's got the 34 inch arms same as heavy katie led power five with 16 tfls in the 2020 season like this is not a guy that just has all kinds of crazy physical dimensions and never had any production because nobody knew how to use him or he doesn't work hard or nope, nope, not that guy power five leading tfl tackler 16 of them in 2020 37 inch vert 10 broad all the all the common numbers we've been talking about not a guy that's
1: being tied like in the 145
0: range i don't
1: think i've seen anybody put him above like round five yeah And he's in
0: he's in like the one forty five range. So there this may well be one of those guys where there's a medical red flag. There's no field red flag Again, stuff we don't have access to. But if you look at his profile, you look at his gifts again, gifts relative to the position he plays. You talked about certain measurements being really important for certain positions for all the ones that are really important for defensive end. He crushes them. And he's got production, too. So something's going on. Somebody usually don't get physically gifted edges, not this kind of physically gifted edges after the top of the third, if you're really lucky.
1: Well, I think the thing that's working against him is. Which is why this is all ceiling team. We're talking about ceiling here, not Uh, what he is. Yep. The problem is what he is now because he went to the senior bowl and got his ass kicked Mm -hmm. because he doesn't know how to use those gifts yet. Nope. So we are projecting a if he learns how to use it. That's why this is all ceiling team. If he doesn't learn how to use it, he's not going to last three years in the league because he no. went up against tackles that are not as good as most NFL tackles he's going to face. And they whooped him all week. Yeah. When the physical gifts meet the physical gifts, something else has got to give,
0: right? Then you've yeah. got to have technique. Then you got to be setting people up. Then you got to have strategy and that part, Obviously not very strong, but again, he learns how to leverage the tools. His ceiling is productive NFL edge rusher. And if you're getting that in the fourth or fifth round, it's a massive win.
1: It's not unlike, well, very different skill set. But when Daniel Hunter was coming out of LSU, Mm -hmm. lots of tools on tools on tools, (laughs) didn't know how to use them yet. Went to Minnesota coaching staff, coached him up. All of a sudden he's, you know, top. 10 edge rusher in the league. So that's what we're hoping for here is he goes to a coaching staff that knows how to coach him up. God willing, he will because we love to see talented players uh, succeed and make a lot of money. That's what we're here for in the end. Um, let's get to inside linebacker. Now going away from edge and you and I uh, share our chalk pick at the top, which is Leo Chanel, who was one of my 10 gems. We've talked about him uh quite frequently and you know we got numbers on him from the combine and pro day and all that kind of stuff and it pretty much confirmed like yep he's a freak (laughs) six (laughs) six something 250 moves like crazy doesn't make sense athletically he's a freak he's going top 60 picks or so um i do think that he's not as good in coverage as several other linebackers in kind of that top linebacker group so he is a little bit more of a a niche skill set, but I could also make the argument that with his athleticism, he could potentially overcome that in the future. And if he hits his ceiling, which is the key word here, if he hits his ceiling, it's Brian Urlacher. Theoretically.
0: <laughs> I know it's a touchy yeah.
1: subject for you as a no, Bears fan. No, no, I mean, but...
0: theoretically, it's not even that I'm a Bears fan. It's like, the, if you're talking about, you know, if we're talking about the all-freak class and then we're taking the top cream of that mm-hmm. like that's Erlacher exists there there're just very few people that have his blend of size and speed like you just don't you don't see it like people talk about generational athletes getting pretty close on a generation since he was drafted and haven't seen Anybody else with that level of size, fluidity, they carry carry folks down the middle. But you know, again, okay, it's it's a stretch, and it's ceiling and it's coverage, and so I'm not going to say no. I'm going to say I hope so, because man, that was fun getting to watch that, <laughs> and I would love to watch it again. Um, the down the board picks, uh, you know. You picked Channing Tindall, and Channing Tindall's in the mid-80s, and Chanel's somewhere in the 60s, so not a huge gap between the two. Um, We'll talk about our shared love for Channing Tindall. I picked Brandon Smith, kind of because we haven't talked about Brandon Smith. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's a little scary to me, because yes, uh, Penn State is a freak factory. They produce really good testers, great athletes right now. He's uh, not far behind Tyndall's like 86 Brandon Smith's about 97. So not, not super far down the list, but Brandon Smith in terms of talk time or airtime compared to a guy like Tyndall, who played for the national champs, almost non-existent. Like very few people are talking about Brandon Smith. Um, and I get it. He wasn't on the field all the time for the Nittany Lions. Uh, but if you want to talk about RAS, he's 997. This is a 250-pound guy. That's 6'3". Not a great bench, but everything else on this card is green. <laughs> 4'5", 158, 10-yard split, 6'9", cone. 37-inch vert, 10-foot broad, 19 in the bench, and when you look at the highlights, right? His his really good plays. It's when he sees it and triggers and does both of those things like in the same play, he annihilates guys. Like he vaporizes people because he's 250 moving at that speed. And he's hitting <laughs> running backs sometimes. Some of the running backs in the Big Ten are like 205, 208. And here comes this 250-pound guy unblocked and hits that guy. And it just it just looks like a car hitting a raccoon it's crazy
1: <laughs> jesus christ well oh, no God. it doesn't look like him well you but... live in the woods in washington so you would know no, what that i would like. know
0: but uh no i mean again does he do that all the time no is he is his presence on the field there all the time no ceiling we're talking about ceiling you get a guy at that size 250 that runs a four or five flat And when he triggers, like, is he great in pass coverage? No, no, he's got some limitations there. But all around the line, he can make plays. Uh, He's a good football player now. He could be a great football player in the right hands. And I think about the teams in the NFL that have a very strong linebacking tradition and understand what they want in linebackers. And like if Brandon Smith ends up being a Raven, look out.
1: I'm thinking Patriots. He
0: would fit perfectly for Bill. He was one of the other teams we named pre-show and we were talking about it. Steelers Steelers have kind of gone lighter and faster. The old Steelers mode of linebackers, yes. The new Steelers mode, they like lighter and quicker. You know, would, would Tomlin and his staff do a good job with Brandon Smith? I'm well, sure they would.
1: I was thinking about that actually like during the show since we did talk about that pre-show. And then I was thinking like, well, I don't know. They did hire Brian Flores. I wonder if they're bringing some Belichickian type stuff in there. And if they
0: did and Flores got a hold of Brandon Smith and look at what he did with all the players in Miami in terms of Mm -hmm. all the zero they ran and everything like, oh, yikes. He'd be (laughs) a weapon like he would be a serious weapon and nobody's talking about. Now, Channing Tindall, on the other hand, is a guy we both love, but he played for the national champs in a very high profile rotation. So more people have heard of him. But why is he your pick for
1: all ceiling? Because when you look at Channing Tindall as a 6'1", 230-pound linebacker, which these days is positively heavy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you look at some of the linebackers I the league, that's like at minimum average size. Um, 6'1", 230, 4'4", 42-inch vert. Highest vert ever recorded for a linebacker that I can find. Um, 10'9", in the broad. And that explosiveness and closing speed Shows up on tape. He, I remember when I was watching the Clemson game, um, when I was watching all the other Georgia guys. <laughs> and this was, uh, this was like December when I was kind of, you know, first getting into, uh, cause I feel like most people this year just started with Georgia. Cause they're like, well, they have the most people. So I'm going to start with Georgia. So I watched Clemson. That was the first game. And his first snap in the game was when he was in there. And I believe it was a toss play out to the left. And, and, quay walker was the mike who was closest to it and he triggered so quickly he overlapped like literally overlapped quay walker and beat him to the ball from the other side and made the tackle for loss because he's just that damn fast and quay walker is getting a lot of pub this week by the way some people are saying oh he's gonna be the first georgia linebacker taken i like quay walker 6'3 240 (laughs) good size really crazy shuttle like fluid hips good feet does not have the explosiveness and closing speed of Channing Tindall. He's good at what he does. But if you want a heat-seeking 230-pound missile that can seek and destroy in the edge run game and also, I think, provide a little bit better in terms of coverage down the field than, say, Quay Walker would and potentially maybe even better than N'Kobe Dean would because N'Kobe Dean, I think, is going to get posted up by bigger receivers. He's only 5'11". I think Channing Tindall is like a perfect blend between what N'Kobe, did, N'Kobe Dean gives you as like a hybrid safety linebacker sub-package player and what uh, Quay Walker gives you as like a more traditional mic, like what they had with Monty Rice a couple of years ago. I think Channing Tindall is like right down the middle, but also he wears a jetpack. And that's why I love him. If he goes to the right spot, he's, he's not... Quite the same in terms of agility, but I think he, he makes up for it in terms of sheer explosiveness. But best case scenario, talking about all ceiling team here, Fred Warner. Whew. I know. That's I a heck know. of a ceiling. Um, I know. No, I but love to I think he hits it.
0: To be f- to be fair i love tyndall because he has good size i actually didn't think he was going to test as well as he did if you'd asked me to predict his testing numbers they would have been lower good but lower and my favorite thing is he's i think he's the meanest of the three georgia (laughs) linebackers like he plays with a chip he will go after offensive linemen and happily um, in a good way, right? Stack and shed way, a classic linebacker way. Like if you're talking about sort of classic linebacker play, he's the best of the three at that. Nicobe Dean is the quickest and sort of the most inventive. Uh, you know, Quay Walker is the biggest and probably has, was theoretically has the biggest range. Uh, but Tyndall is that blend of like, I'm going to stick my nose in there. I'm fast. I'm aggressive. I'm willing to do that, and I make plays. And that was the thing is I watched all three Georgia linebackers and tried to kind of put them in boxes and separate them and say what, what makes them special. That was why I sort of gravitated towards, I don't think I'm going for Nicobe Dean up high because I don't have to. I can wait and get chained into later and get exactly what I want
1: in a linebacker. Yeah, I just... I, I how can you look at this linebacker class with with guys like Tyndall, not to mention the other Georgia guys, and Brandon Smith and Leo Chanel, who also might not even be one of the top three linebackers taken. And like, Muma And Muma and Devin Lloyd and um Troy Anderson. Like, there's a million linebackers in this class. Like Jack Sanborn's gonna go in like the sixth round, and he's a really good player. Like, yeah,
0: Micah McFadden
1: there's so many there are so many it's 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 pretty like i i just don't remember seeing this deep of a linebacker class in like the last five six years inside linebacker feels a little
0: bit like tight end to me for several years like three years in a row we had like a couple of good tight ends and then a whole lot of like well they might be a good sub package player later mm-hmm. like there just wasn't a lot of depth at tight end it was really like tight end scouting which hurts me deeply because i really liked tight end scouting for a lot of years it was like okay i did the three I, I guess i'll look at the others inside linebacker felt a little bit like that you know it was maybe five deep maybe six and this year like you're getting 10 uh i think i'm 14 guys deep in the inside linebacker class and i'm still finding traits that i'm like mm, like i can see where I would put that guy in. Am I going to draft him high? No, but I'm again. I can wait, and if that's the quality I want for my team, I can I can get a good draft value and still pick a guy for my team that's going to contribute.
1: Let's go to corner now, where you and I agree on both the <gasps> chalk pick and the uh, and the down the board pick. Sauce Gord, Sauce Gardner, excuse me, Gord. Somebody's just <laughs> uh, one of us is at least. Uh, Sauce Gardeners our chalk pick. Because uh, how could it not be? He is CB1 for most people in this class, I would say. And if he hits a ceiling, he's going to Vegas every single year for the Pro Bowl. <laughs> Unless yeah. he's going to the Super Bowl. I
0: just did my depth study on him, though. And he was he was kind of my leader in the clubhouse from tape I had seen. But I did my singular watch of Sauce oh, about eight days ago now. And he was one of the few guys that with that much scrutiny, like... The glow only got brighter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Usually, I start getting pretty nitpicky when I'm doing my single, you know, takedown. That's what I'm there for—is to find the best qualities about them and where they need work. And Sauce Gardener erases—I'm going to guesstimate 65 percent of the routes he sees in the first two seconds. Yeah, yeah. Like they're not even routes anymore. <laughs> It's just people getting pushed into the sideline. Yeah. He's big enough, long enough, strong enough, and loves press. The most supremely confident. And he came out this week and said, I'm the best player in the draft on Twitter. And I was like, I can't say you're wrong. Uh, But it doesn't surprise me at all because you just watch him. People like you said earlier, why should watch the scouts go to practice? And this is why you should watch like all the film, not just the highlights, not just the cutups. Watching that guy walk around pre-snap He looks like he's at a barbecue. (laughs) Seriously. He's like, he has really fast guys across from him. And he's like looking back, making checks. He wanders over there. He knows in his soul that there is no way that guy's going to beat him. Like, it's not possible in his mind. And he's right like 98% of the time.
1: I don't think he gave up a touchdown his whole college career. Not his whole
0: college career. And the amount
1: of it just like
0: swag in that guy that you see that from a lot of corners and a lot of wide receivers, but it's not justified with him. It's totally justified because then he stands up. The guy tries to run. He puts both of those very long arms on him. And just mushes them and they don't go anywhere. And the quarterback takes one look, goes, oh, time to go to the next read, forget it. <laughs> and somebody, I I would give credit if I can remember, somebody put out an article. <laughs> they talked to coaches about where these, where these players are going to go. And I think it might've been Feldman and he's trying to predict the first round and the coach's quote he got on gardner was oh no we put some slapdick receiver over there all day and just didn't (laughs) go at him he was a dummy like we didn't even try right we just lined up somebody we weren't going to throw to anyways because it didn't matter who we put over there he was going to erase everybody so sauce is a guy that i watched in detail and went i like him better and to me his ceiling if he hits it is like Revis in his prime, where you just don't even throw at that side of the field. And yeah. that's rare. We haven't seen people say shutdown corner all the time. We haven't seen like true shutdown corners come out in a bit. They're like shutdown corners that need, you know, split safety help every once in a while. Like Cincinnati has good safeties. They never one of the reasons Cincinnati safeties look great is because they're playing two-thirds of the field. Yeah, every snap, they never help sauce. They're like, we don't need to. He's got him like, what would we do over there anyways? We'd be bored. So they play two thirds of the field. And that's why they look so damn good. They're both good players. But like, he is on an island. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it going into the game. Everybody knew it coming into the season. Like he's a mark guy the entire year. Couple people tested him. He picked him off. They were like, well, that was dumb. I guess we'll
1: quit it. Like, he's so good. It's ridiculous. And we talked about this in the Gems episode. Sauce is the reason why Kobe Bryant got so much work. (laughs) It's because nobody bothered. (laughs) It's not fair at all to Kobe Bryant. Like, I actually, Kobe Bryant is one of the guys
0: that slipped a little bit when I watched this. And it was because he's getting thrown at all the time because nobody throws to where else are you going to go with the ball you got to throw it somewhere you literally can't go to Sauce's side and that's how dominant he is so when i say revis in his prime it's like he's already showing a lot of those qualities if he hits his ceiling which he's kind of close to now he is going to be a guy that you can literally say that receiver's yours go deal with the other two-thirds of the field and that is so valuable in the nfl
1: our uh, our shared down-the-board pick is uh Zion McCollum from uh, Sam Houston State who scored a 10 on RAS, which last year there was a, a 10 on RAS with J.C. Horn. uh And, you know, it was one of those like, oh, this will never be beat, and then literally the next year Zion McCollum comes out. Just listen to this profile. 6'2", 200 pounds, great size. uh You know, sub-31-inch arms, but still for a corner – Fine, whatever. That's like the one thing that's not crazy elite. But he's got 433 speed. He's got a 39 and a half inch vert, 11 foot broad, 648 three cone, 394 shuttle. Every number, like on RAS, green, 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 because he's that rare. Like he is literally one of one in terms of total athletic profile that we've seen. And that's saying a lot because last year we had a one-of-one with JC Horn and then McCollum came out and, and and outdid him. So other than length, he is the ideal corner prospect from a physical standpoint. From a physical standpoint. Yeah. yeah. So we talk about all ceiling. It's like, okay, well if you can weaponize that physical ability and get that physical ability to that ceiling, he is potentially going to be that type of corner like sauce where You can't do anything about it because he's too damn big. He's too damn physical. He's too damn fast. And if you just put him on the backside on that boundary corner roll and say, all right, just go take away this guy for four straight quarters, theoretically, he could get to the point where he could do that
0: yeah he has he has a lot more uh ground to cover than sauce does just to be clear for everybody's going to jump into the comments and say this Zion was going to be like sauce mm, he could be he's got a lot more ground to cover in terms of technique and experience and everything else one of the things he's got going for him besides all the obvious physical gifts that you just talked about is he's mean <laughs> yeah like he's a bully at corner and there aren't that many of those there's When you get right down to it, it's one of the things that makes sauce really special is there's not a ton of guys that press. And I mean, physical press, man, you know, they'll press right up to the line, which is officially press, man, but they don't touch like it's it's press mirror, right? And that's fine. That's a totally legitimate coverage. And a lot of guys, a lot of guys, even in this class, have a lot of success in that. In that approach. Zion's not one of those guys. He will stand up from you cross the line and hit you in the chest with both hands as soon as the snap comes up and go, let's go because I can run with you. I can stand in front of you. Again, there's not a lot you're going to be able to do to me. So he's more than happy to come up and physically intimidate you at the line. And that's really rare in college football because everybody's worried, right? Everybody's worried that if they miss, that fast guy's going to beat him and they're going to look like an idiot. You have as much gas as Zion does. You have as much length and speed as sauce does. You're not worried about that. So you walk right up in somebody's face, poke them in the chest and be like, yeah. And, and a yeah. lot of times the answers and nothing, that's it. It's over. So he's got a lot going for him. Does he need work down the field? Yes. Is he going to see things in the pros that he absolutely did not see at Sam Houston state? A few. <laughs> he will. Uh, all those things will come with time, but he's got, all the building blocks to he's going to go early. It's just a rare combination. He's going to go, he's going to go off the board. And he's going to be one of those people that casual fans of the draft or casual fans of their team are going to be like, who from yeah. where? And it's going to be like, Oh, hang on. <laughs> there,
1: there was <laughs> a pick he made now, down the boundary, which I don't know if you saw this pick where, uh, I mean, like literally from the starting gun, he was in this receiver's hip pocket, forcing him into the sideline. And you saw the quarterback like be like, "Oh, there's my one on one. I'm just gonna take the go we'll ball one on one because what else? What? 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 That's what's what anything I'm bad that can do. happen? Yeah. yeah. And like I, I remember the first time I saw this play, like three steps into the route, I was like, "Don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> He's already beat. Don't do it." And he he threw it and he left it like six inches inside, and I was like, "That's." That's not a big enough window against a six-two corner that runs four-three. My guy is not is not going to work, and he picked it off like easily, like easily, like was not even challenged. Yeah, and that's the play that I look at where I'm like, okay, if you can get to the point where he's doing that against NFL receivers, mm-hmm. where it's like a, an unknown or an unspoken rule that hey, three by one, you get the one-on-one backside press, it bombs away. Yeah, because it. it's supposed to be a quote-unquote safe. Shot play, <laughs> it ain't safe against guys like column No, and they're that's, gonna that's try the it a point. couple times,
0: and it's just like sauce. Eventually, people kind of get bored, and they're like, "How good can he be?" Throw a ball at him. Oops. Yeah,
1: about that. Yeah,
0: not more than once if you're smart. So,
1: let's wrap it up with safety. Um, we differ a little bit in terms of chalk pick. You have Dax Hill from Michigan. I have Lewis Seen from Georgia. I would say most people have them in their top three to four safeties in whatever order you want to put. Um, and then we both for our down the board pick have JT Woods and Tyson Anderson. Those, these were actually the, the two that I was going to pick and I saw you already put them. I was like, all right, I'm just going to leave that. There we go. Um, but it's, it's a very intriguing safety class at the top. Cause we talked about it last week. A lot of people have Kyle Hamilton as safety one, but there's, a growing movement for Dax Hill being safety one. And they're just, they're dif- different players. And I, you know, I think you can
0: have two safety ones or three safety ones, even with all the safety rules that are important and a sort of evolving and multiplying in the NFL. Dax Hill is versatile, right? He is that, I don't want to say classic, but he is in that star mold. He can come down, he can play slot. He can play corner if you need him to. He can play deep safety. He can play up around the line and be the guy that's the disruptor. And watching him do that is a great physical profile. And the theoretical ceiling for a guy like that is Taron Matthew. And that's a great ceiling. But Mm -hmm. Dax Hill has, again, all the building blocks and that versatility. There are very few guys that can slip sort of seamlessly between those three roles, if you want to call it that, like slot corner, free safety and strong safety if we're going with the old designations. Uh, the more modern designations, it's still the same thing. You know, hey, I'm going to take on tight end on this play. I'm going to take a true slot receiver, small, quick, speed slot on this. Oh, and I'm going to go play deep third on this one to make sure nobody gets over the top on me and do all three things equally well. Not a lot of players can do all three. A lot of players can do two. You know, even more players can do one really well, and that gets a lot of guys drafted. If you're one Those people that can do all three of those things, and people aren't quite sure which one you're the best at because you're really good at all three. That's that's Dax Hill.
1: When I look at Dax myself, um I struggle to determine whether or not I want him more at nickel or as a traditional post safety, because I think he'd be phenomenal at both. So I I'm personally trying to figure out where I want him, and I kind of had a realization uh, earlier this week where I was like, you know what? I almost don't even care. I'm going to leave that up to the coaches because the coaches are going to have a hole to fill and he can fill either one. And it's going to be very much like Javon Holland-esque in Miami when he was a rookie, where it's like, what was Javon Holland? A a post-safety? Was he a nickel? Was he, you know, a great blitzer that they would bring out? And the answer was yes to all those things. So he is a guy where I have decided where even though he could play both roles exceptionally well, his best role is just whatever the team needs in any given week. And he's going to do them very well. And I have pretty much zero worries about him being in the NFL. Like he's one of these guys where you ever have like, he's plug and play. Yeah. He's like one of these 10 guys that you have every, every class where it's like, I have no worries. Like Buddha Baker was one of them. Um, Jesse Bates was one of them where it's like, you, you finish your write up and you're just like, I, I, I'm good. You're going to be fine. doesn't matter where you go. You're going to be fine. And those guys usually end up working out. So. End up fine. Uh, in terms of down the board safeties, JT Woods and Tyson Anderson, what do you got for them?
0: If you want players to be too high free safeties, you can get either one of these players late and, you know, one has an RAS of 9.5, one has an RAS of 9.46. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're, you know, one six two, one six one. One's 195, one's 209. So again, really similar. Bench 14, bench 12. Uh 40-yard dash, 436. That's both. <laughs> uh, you know, 15, 10 yard splits. Uh, vertical 39, 35, broad, 10.8, 10, 10.3. 10, <laughs> uh, Three cone, six nine, six six. Like these are roughly six, the same players. Six
1: nine, three cone?
0: Yeah. Six point nine three cone for JT Woods and a six
1: point six four for Tyson Anderson. For somebody JT Woods size, I would have thought of it. I just watching him on tape, I thought a three cone would have been better than that. But yeah, anyway. and again, some guys, I I'll take the tape.
0: Like JT Woods' tape is really good and Tyson Anderson's tape's pretty good too. And if you look at what these guys uh, do on the field and what they did at the senior bowl tyson anderson specific like really good at sliding in and then using that speed to undercut routes like if you run anything deep out cutting on either one of these guys they're going to leverage speed in a way that's not going to make you happy probably in the nfl going to end up being a pbu but if you're unlucky or your quarterback's not super accurate it's a pick because they can both diagnose slide Fill the alley and run support, which is that too high safety role we talk about all the time. And they're going to do it in a hurry. They're both 4 3 guys, like legit 4 3 guys. So, yeah. And not like, oh, he's 180 and he's 4 3. Like, again, one's 209, one's 195. Both can hit, both can fly, both can undercut routes in the secondary. They're both going to be available, you know, down the board. uh, You know, JT Woods, I see his valuation vary, but it's in the 120s. Tyson's sometime in the 150s.
1: I think, I think Woods goes like early round four, I would say. Yeah, JT Woods currently on ADP
0: 158, Tyson Anderson 172. So, really close in terms of how people are seeing their average values. And not surprising, they're, they're, both very capable players. You watch JT Woods on tape; like, it's an explosive guy. The four three shows up. You are like, you, you yeah. knew you are watching Petra, and he's the other safety. That's exactly
1: what I was gonna say. He popped for me when I, when I was watching <laughs> Petre, like, and I was like, "Who's this guy? He's <laughs> like, fast." You yeah. know, and then
0: you look, and he's like, At, "He, you know, come on, he's playing in Dave Veranda's defense. He he's got the two high safety thing down. He's got the multiplicity of roles, uh, and gonna be available. You know, mid. Uh, I would say like. 125 is about when you're gonna start looking at him and go, Yeah, we gotta get him or somebody's gonna pick him.
1: He he does not have Petra's feet. I don't want him in man coverage at all. No. But as a floater, I'm all about it.
0: Right. You're looking all at
1: either it. single high, the deepest guy, or uh deep zone. Uh, that's I was right. thinking like if he hits a ceiling, uh this is gonna sound like a weird comp. Marcus Williams is who who came to mind for me. I, uh,
0: I would say ceiling. Yes. I think Marcus Williams was more complete than both guys, but you're right. Since it's all ceiling team, like I, I don't mind that as a ceiling comp at all for either one of these guys, Uh, a lot of tools, you know, are they going to be your like, this is going to sound weird too. Like alpha safety, like the, the safety you pin the whole defense on and sort of run it around. No, they're going to be the other guy, but they're going to be a really good other guy.
1: Yeah. It's like, um, like the safety rotation that Kansas City was doing, with Matthew and Thornhill and Dirty Dan, where it's like they all had their unique thing that they did. His unique yep. thing is go to the post and be fast. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I like about him. Um, yep, for sure. I, I, forgot, I forgot to mention Lewis scene, by the way. I didn't talk about him as my chalk pick. Um, the speed shows up. The explosiveness shows up. The physicality shows up. The all the numbers shows up on tape. And his ability to come from depth and just smack people. It's a rare thing. It is a rare thing how fast he comes from depth.
0: Yeah, and delivers, right? And mm-hmm. there's there's speed and there's guys that are tough. And we talked about all those things, but the ability to hit, and we talk about this during the season, right? We do the bootleg shot of the week, and there are guys that can hit. Like it's a skill. They deliver force on impact. They might not be the fastest. They might not, a lot of them aren't the biggest, right? It reminds me of uh going way back in baseball like hank aaron right hank aaron was mm-hmm. not the biggest guy it's about speed power is as an equation based on speed and he had bat speed and Lewisine brings speed down the gap and he delivers that speed to ball carriers in the force of impact and it's yeah it's impressive if you hold your breath on so you're like oh he's gonna hit him full speed oh yep he hit him full speed he's one of those guys that doesn't let up right he runs through people and as a safety it's a valuable quality and a lot of folks in the league um like that a lot so he's gonna be a he's gonna be a popular guy that goes off the board really early because it's a quality you need in the defense uh you know want to go over the middle all right <laughs> you're gonna pay for it yeah sure <laughs> see how many times you want to do it and see if you yeah. want to do it late in the fourth quarter or maybe you get a case of alligator arms and don't reach quite as far because you know seen got you on the last one you want to try it
1: again uh yeah we'll see he, he's gonna, he's that classic, all right, you get one backside dig a game. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, only one. <laughs> backside dig
0: eraser, Lewis Yeah, No, I oh, like man. that a lot. So I don't know. I think there's a fun list. We got to talk about a lot of people that we don't typically talk about. Got to talk about projections. Like, hey, what's the best? And I love that. Like you said earlier, we want to see guys succeed and live up to their their talent level and this is a whole episode of saying what if that happened for every guy right is it going to happen for every guy absolutely not. it's not but we're going to see some of these guys hit these these ceilings
1: and it's going to be so fun and we're only going to acknowledge our hits and completely ignore our misses that's meh we have we have to be stereotypical draft media and just completely forget when we're wrong (laughs) only acknowledge when we're right (laughs) okay we just spent two hours on a on a draft podcast not
0: stereotypical draft media we just talked about a whole whack load of guys outside of the top 50 and top 100 not stereotypical draft media uh there's a a list of other ways but i'll just leave it at that we are not stereotypical draft media
1: and we're also going to have like a 22 hour live stream all three days of the draft which is uh as we're coming to find out not what most people are doing i guess i guess we're kind of weirdos in that we're willing to sit in a chair for nine hours and talk about every single draft pick so uh remember we're doing that this uh this year so if you're not already subscribed to the channel do so come back say hi on i don't know virtually any day of the yeah wednesday thursday friday saturday doesn't matter so we're gonna we're gonna be live and in person details coming shortly about where that is and when that is but you can expect the uh, the full draft show to be back this year. And um, as soon as we get you information about, or as soon as we have information finalized, we will get that out to all of you. So thank you again for sticking with us to the end of a two plus hour podcast for the second week in a row. You guys are heroes. And uh, thank you once again to the Bootleg Hall of Fame, Marat, Andrew, and Consti for supporting us and all the 40 patrons that joined this week. You guys are amazing. We'll be back next week with something draft related uh, less than four weeks out from the big day. So lots more to talk about. See you guys in roughly six or seven days. And until then later, take care.